What's happening, weirdos? This is the wonderful Father James Martin. He was the chaplain of the Colbert Report, and uh, basically the priest and friend uh, to Stephen Colbert. And I was uh, turned on to him through his work. He's got a wonderful new book called Learning to Pray, A Guide for Everyone, which is out now. We do talk a little bit about prayer in this episode. But we talk about a lot of things. And we both agreed at the end of this chat that it was just one of the best conversations either of us had had in a long while. Uh, We didn't, you know, we didn't line up exactly on every single issue, but that's what made it so fun. Uh, it was a real, it was a real discussion, a real back and forth, pinging and ponging, as I like to say. So check out "Learning to Pray: A Guide for Everyone" by Father James, uh, James Martin. I should say the whole thing. And your support of this show always means so much. If you enjoy the show, the best way to show your support is to try one of the Pete's picks. One of the Pete's picks this week is Stitch Fix. I have seen so many boxes marked marked Stitch Fix on our porch for the past couple years, and that is basically where Val does all of her uh, clothes shopping, and Val, of course, looks fantastic. So I was so excited when they wanted to come on board, because we all know online shopping can be very daunting. You don't know if things will fit, returns can be very difficult, and you don't even know what store to start with. But this season, let Stitch Fix do all the hard work for you. Stitch Fix offers clothes hand-selected by expert stylists, stylists, for your unique size, style, and budget. Every piece is chosen for your fit and your life, and it's the easy solution to finding what makes you look good and feel your best. Try on pieces at home before you buy, keep your favorites, and send back the rest. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and a prepaid return envelope is included. There's no subscription required. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries. You'll pay just a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited towards pieces you keep, and there are no hidden fees ever. Stitch Fix has styles and clothing to fit any occasion for men, women, and kids, and they ship all over the U.S. and are available in the U.K. as well. It's a fantastic way. Val swears by it. I can swear by it as well because I love what she wears and she loves the experience. So get started today at stitchfix.com slash Pete and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash Pete for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com slash Pete and show your support of this podcast. Another wonderful Pete's pick is Kitty Poo Club. I know how wonderful it is to own a cat, but I know how horrible it is to change that terrible, stinky, disgusting, gritty, messy kitty box. The kitty litter box. So I signed my mom and her cats, (laughs) uh, Gizmo and Baby, up for Kitty Poo Club. Because as much as we love having cats in our lives, especially during the quarantine, especially when they crawl across your keyboard in the middle of an important Zoom call, we don't like cleaning the litter box. So Kitty Poo, Kitty Poo Club, not Pool Club, cats don't like swimming. It's an all-in-one litter box solution designed to be convenient for you. Every month, Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with the litter of your choice. The boxes are, of course, leak-proof, they're eco-friendly, and even have a fun design for every season. When the month is up, you just recycle the box, and Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. No change 
changing used litter, no more cleaning the box. And you can customize your order based on how many cats you have and what type of litter you or they prefer. Kitty Poo Club has a no-risk guarantee, and you can easily customize or cancel any time. Right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering 20% off to weirdos on your first order when you set up AutoShip by going to kittypooclub.com and entering promo code WEIRD. That's kittypooclub.com, promo code WEIRD for 20% off when you set up AutoShip. One last time, kittypooclub.com. Don't forget to use promo code WEIRD at checkout and show your support of this show. Last but not least, I actually, Katie just texted me. We were in bed and she said, don't forget the intro. So I was just on my wonderful Brooklinen sheets. I love my Brooklinen sheets. They get softer every time we wash them. And I feel like everybody listening, you deserve to sleep on something that is super comfortable, super soft, super premium without costing an arm and a leg. Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost a fortune, and when they couldn't, instead of just complaining about it, they founded Brooklinen, the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. If you don't love your sheets, Brooklinen has you covered. You shouldn't be waking up, pull the covers over your head, and go back to sleep because you're embarrassed of your sheets. Make it comfortable. If you're going to be doing that, make it comfortable. Brooklinen works directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting, so they are so confident you will love their products. They even offer a one earth year, that's 365 days, money back guarantee. Brooklinen is so much more than sheets. They have comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, and more. It's 2021. Do something nice for yourself to start the new year. To help with that, Brooklinen has a special offer. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code WEIRD for $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code WEIRD for $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. One last time, brooklinen.com and use promo code WEIRD at checkout and show your support of this podcast. Life's too short to sleep on anything less than really nice sheets. Trust me, go check out Brooklinen. All right, guys. Uh, This is Father James. I really hope you enjoy it. One last time for him, check out Learning to Pray, a guide for everyone, his new book. And I sincerely hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did. It was basically two, uh, I don't know how else to say it, God nerds talking back and forth. And man, it was so fun. I hope you enjoy it. Get into it. How long is this? How long do you need me for? However long you can do. We usually talk for two hours, but I don't that. Yeah, what the hell? I mean, we'll see. (laughs) Go ahead. <laughs> there is no go ahead. We're doing it. We're doing it. Well, wait, you got to tell me when we start recording. We're recording. <laughs> All right. Great. Good to be with you. It's great to be with you. Thanks. I'm happy to talk with you. I I, I think I said, so I mentioned we chatted just very briefly before mm-hmm. we were recording. And I mentioned Father Richard, Father Richard Rohr. That big fake. <laughs> what does he know about spirituality? You devil. He's great. No, he's amazing. I know. Well, he changed my life. He absolutely changed my life. And I'm not going to, I could, and Lord knows I have, um, made the guests listen to my story, which the listeners already know. I'm not going to do that. I do want to say to you what I said to him, which is we have 
big guests on the show, movie stars, blah, blah. But like, like I imagine with Colbert, I get really excited when I'm like, all right, like somebody interested in living spirit. Like mm-hmm. that is, in, I'm not just saying this to be a good boy. I have no interest in, in uh, well, let's be honest. I probably have some interest in you validating my good boy status. But but not nearly as much as everybody I'm sure you 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 see as a priest. Um, there's my dog who annoys me very much. Let's see if he calms down. Um, I just said a prayer and he calmed down. That's why. Oh my! Well, we'll get yeah. to prayer. That's your amazing. Book. We'll get the to answer prayer. prayer. <laughs> Aren't all prayers answered? Uh, listen, no, they're not. <laughs> no. And I was pretty. I'm pretty blunt about that in the book. So you're you're excited when you see a, a spiritual oh, person on let, TV. Let, let me. You give didn't. You... I, I was more interested in seeing Zendaya than I was seeing me. Or I don't know Zendaya. I don't know who that she is. She was the other guest that night on the Colbert show. Hilarious. Yeah, she's in a couple movies. What I was going to say was I get, I think Colbert is the same. The time that I've spent with him is like, yes, it's really fun to talk to famous. And I like it. I like artists of all mm-hmm. types. Sure. But if I can talk to somebody who who has a heart for the mystery... I get re- I get really excited, so I'm going to yeah, do my nice. best to not talk too much. Well, thanks. No. <laughs> well, let's start there. You said all prayers are answered. I was trying to give you like a nice mystical, non non dual, mysterious like all prayers are answered. But uh, isn't the answer just no. sometimes no or no, no or wait or later? No. So, so in the in the I talk about that in the book, and you know here are the, here are the answers you get. Why? Are, look, if you pray for someone not to die and they die. Your prayer has not been answered. Okay. Who are you going to say who lives and dies? What arrogance? No, but if look, if you, you, in other words, if you're praying for something to happen and it doesn't happen, yeah. But who are you to say what should happen? Is this? I'm nobody, but I can, I can ask. (laughs) But who are you? We okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. We can get into it. Why would you not ask God for what you want? It's, I mean, assuming it's a good thing. Like, look. God forbid someone you know and love is sick. You know, it's reasonable to ask God for help. That's what sure. I'm saying. But yes. sometimes it doesn't get answered. And here, here, are the, here are the typical answers. One, uh, and we have to look at the images of God they sort of convey. One, God answered your prayer, but the answer is no. All right. It's like, okay, well, there's a certain logic to that. But it's, it kind of makes God out to be this mean person, right? Like, no. God answers your prayer, but it's what's best for you, right? It's better. So you ask for something, but God gives you something better, but that fails. I mean, if you're praying, you know, for someone who's sick in your family and they die, it's like, well, this is better for you. you but know? isn't, isn't what Jesus says, take this cup from my mouth. I mean, if he had answered that prayer, we wouldn't have our whole religion. Well, but he's, <laughs> but, but he's honest. He's honest in his prayer. He asks, right? So that's the, that's one of the points of he asks, he's honest, right? So we have to ask and we have to be honest, but then then the answer is the question is why don't we get what we ask for? But for me, the, the final answer that I come to in the book, which I think is the most honest, is we don't know. We don't know why some prayers are answered and why some prayers are not, or at least seem to be answered. And we have to the question we have to ask is can we believe in a God we don't understand? Is that okay? But to tell people, I it drives me crazy when people say, Oh, all prayers are answered. No, that's just not true. Like right. if I pray for my like my dad died in uh, 2001 and I obviously prayed for him to get better. He didn't get better and he died. So you can't tell me, Oh, your prayer was answered in a mysterious way. It, it wasn't now to well, say it that, wasn't fulfilled. I guess you could say it was, well, answered. Well, yeah, it wasn't answered. <laughs> well, right. It wasn't, I didn't get right. But the question is, can you, can I still believe in God? And the answer is yes. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to get what I pray for all the time to still believe in God. Well, this, this is a, this is something that I've, 
in my life recently come back to because I have a two-year-old daughter. Oh, that's nice. What's her name? I don't know. And um, <laughs> her name is Leela. Um, are you look familiar po- with... Look at the post-it on the... <laughs> well, we wrote the... it on her forehead in a watchable <laughs> marker. No, her name is Leela, which I, maybe you know, it means the dance of the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's uh, Leela, the concept. Um, but her middle nice. name is Jane. If she doesn't want to be spiritually groovy, she can be a mysterious <laughs> smoker, wear purple dresses and make art and be Jane. I, I've said this many times. Wait, no, Leela could certainly do that too. Leela oh, could, could certainly, yeah. Leela or Leela Jane. I mean, we call her Leela Jane, which has kind of got a southern twang to it. Call her LJ, call her Lee, call her Lege, Leja. I mean, I, I remember when I was a little boy, my name is Peter, but I changed it to Pete. I mean, mm-hmm. in the way that you change it, mm-hmm. in the way that you could say, please call me Jim. Mm-hmm. That feeling of agency over reality really mattered. Yeah. I was like, wow, I said, call me Pete, and now all these mm-hmm. people are calling me Pete. It gave me a little ownership over my world. So I, I'm excited for her to pick what she wants. She she could say, call me Tortoise, and I'll call her Tortoise. I mean, my, my nephew, so I'm a James Jr., and my nephew, so this is my sister's son, when they were getting ready to name their first child, they were going to name him Charles, right? Because Charles is my brother-in-law's name. And I said, don't name him the same thing, because for the rest of his life, which I had to deal with, like, which one, which Charles, yeah. big Charles, little Charles. So anyway, so... He it's, was called, he was called Charles. So halfway, probably about, I guess he was four. I said to him, I'll never forget this. This is a great like interchange, but in terms of like how the little mind works, I said, um, Charles, would you like to be called Charlie? And he goes, no. And I said, why not? And he goes, because it's not my name. Oh my <laughs> I just God. thought, well, that's that. You know. Well, right. He's an Enneagram one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you know your Enneagram? Uh, I'm a, I'm a six. Wonderful. Do you have a, do you know your wing? You know, don't laugh. I'm really, I like the Enneagram, but I can't remember all that stuff. That's like fine. the wing well, is, I, 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 the, the, the six is the loyalist. He kind of does things yeah. loyally, I guess. I forget what my wing is. Well, it's either the challenger or the enthusiast. Uh, and I, I, I'm j- I always love talking to a good seven. Those are the people that get excited about everything. What What are you? Well, a seven hosts the show, but that's actually my third number. I'm a three, which is the achiever, which means, I mean, it's very achievey of me to talk to you and find a way to make a living out of it. That's a, that's a three, you know. Well, the, I, I know the six is the person who, you know, wants to kind of make everyone happy and goes by the rules. And I don't know as much about the Enneagram as I should, but I find it super helpful. I don't know if you should. I, I like, I, I find it sexy because it used to be just for clergy. Like it was like the yeah. secret and yeah. then it became so I like that's very three of me. I'm like, oh, I can go and grab that. Like I, I was on a retreat years ago and the guy this cracks me out. The retreat director said this is just when I entered the Jesuits. He said, now I'm going to give you a piece of paper from the Enneagram. And he said, I'm not telling you what you are, because that's something that you need to come up with. But I just thought this piece of paper would help you. So he gives me this piece of paper that says. So you're a six. <laughs> and I said, how are you not telling me what I am? He's like, well, I just thought this might be helpful for you. Well, we're back to prayer. He didn't not, he didn't tell you. It's like the paper told you in like the no was the answer. There's some circular logic on both. Yeah. So I'm a six. Before we get, I want to talk about all that stuff. And, and I'm not even a debater. I know I was coming at you. No, that's okay. Debate energy, but you're in a I'm used to it. I live in a Jesuit community, so I'm used to it. Are they salty? Do they love a good back and forth? Oh my gosh, are you kidding? <laughs> I don't know. 
I don't know any Jesuits. Oh, my God. oh yeah. All I know oh, about yeah. Jesuits is that you guys are groovy and that like you're, well, you're not into... all of us are groovy, but we try to be. <laughs> but there's you love. A great, there's a great uh, Italian phrase. It's tre Jesuiti, quattro opinioni, three Jesuits, four opinions. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, we like to have our opinions. See, that's interesting to me because with Leela, we don't go to uh, church. We don't, we're not interested. We, I, my my high flute and self would be like, we try to never leave the spirit of church. We like talking about stuff. We like worshiping. We mm-hmm. like being present. We like it, being grateful, all that stuff. But if we did want to give our daughter some sort of structure, I'd be like, oh, let's go to the Jesuits. Let's go to the Franciscans. Right. But the problem is... You have to go like, hey, are you guys Richard Rohr Franciscans? Are you like, or are you this type of Jesuit or that type? Like you're saying it's divided even no, in the- No, no, I'm just saying that Jesuits like to debate. And yeah, I think most, look, I would say if you went to a Jesuit or Franciscan parish, wherever you are, and I know the ones in LA, you know, you would find some very welcoming places. Is that right? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I it's would inter- go. It's interesting. I, you know, when I talk to you, one of the things that, I find can be an impediment, meaning let's say I'm, I'm talking to like one of the Ram Dass people, like a real mm-hmm. hippie. Mm-hmm. You sort of can't back them into a corner, meaning not that I could back you into a corner. I'm just saying I was talking to this guy. He had a guru in India. And if you try to like pin him on anything, he'd be like, well, maybe that's not even the case. You know, like he'd be open to I be know, like, oh, right. I could be wrong. Sure. Whereas when I'm talking to a priest who belongs mm. to the Jesuits mm-hmm. and it's high church. You got the big, I was going to say the big fuck off buildings and the scary, no comment. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I just mean, it's designed to be sort of awe inspiring. Well, uh, we hope not. I mean, you know, it, Jesus was, he's a carpenter from Nazareth. We, we, I mean, we have, these I don't see that, a lot of chapels like well, that. As a friend of mine likes to say, when they go to Rome, they go to Rome and they come into St. Peter's. And I, I think, you know, there's a certain beauty and people are able to pray there, but the old, the old saying is it's a long way from Nazareth. It's know? a long way from Nazareth. But, I mean, um, but no, I mean, I, I think, but there are things that I'll say, I don't know. I mean, when we're talking about, you know, how God works, I mean, the, the stuff we were talking about before, like, I don't know why some prayers seem answered and others don't seem answered. And I think it's okay to, you know, as they say, um, you know, God's not an answer to be a problem to be, to be solved, but a mystery to be pondered. I always like that. It's all a mystery. Yeah, Richard said that too. He's like, the Bible itself is supposed to be a challenge. It's supposed yeah. to break no, he, you. He's, and- he stole that from me. <laughs> Steals all, he steals all of his stuff. He does not. Did big you say that? No, oh of course my God, not. You're so. No, fun. I'm a big. I'm a big Richard Rohr devotee. Well, I'll tr- can I? Can I? Can I praise him for a bit? Um, yeah. One of my favorite Richard. Well, I have a lot of Richard Rohr stories. He's just such a great guy. And I early on when I was um, starting to like write books, this is probably about 15 years ago. I was at this uh, the L.A. Religious Ed Convention, which is this huge kind of confab of 40,000 Catholics. And I was invited to a dinner of authors. And it turns out that the other authors couldn't come. And it was me and Richard Rohr. And I thought, oh, my gosh, me and Richard <laughs> Rohr. So I thought, you know, I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a big deal. And he could not have been more humble. Mm. I always tell this story. And it was all about, hey, Jim, tell me about your book. And, oh, that's so interesting. And it was yeah, really yeah. something. And I thought, this guy, that made me want to sort of follow him. You know, because I, he's just, he just walks the walk. He's just himself. It's great. Yeah. yeah. I, 
I, some of his staff and I, we talk, I always email his staff. I, I try not to bother him directly. And they tell, we share stories like that. And they're like, I'll say I read the universal Christ and, and he's, and he's always surprised. Oh, it's so he's always sweet. like, you read that? He's <laughs> just it's so like, sweet. The well, other great, the other great Rora story that I always tell to people about how the spirit works and how you don't know what is going to you know, help people. He told me this story. I put it in one of my books that um, some guy called him. I may not have the details wrong. Some guy called him and said, I have to come see you because what you said to me 30 years ago changed my life. And Richard's like, I don't even remember this guy. So the guy drives from wherever he shows up in, you know, Arizona. And he says, um, you know, I remember you told me when I was 20 years old, you don't have to know. And he goes, and that has helped me through everything, through my life, through my marriage, through my career. And Richard said to me, I don't remember the guy. I don't remember saying it. <laughs> and Richard's like, okay. But I always use that example as like how the spirit can work. Like, even though you may not be aware of it, it's all the Holy right. Spirit kind of working. I right. love that story. I like, do. Okay, great. Glad it changed your life. I hope you don't feel like I'm, people think show business is a bad thing. I, I think teachers are in show business. I think clergy are in show business. I, I you know what I'm saying? It, it, yeah. So when I say show business, no, I understand. I don't mean keeping up with the Kardashians. Yeah. 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 You guys can relate to comedians, to musicians, to performers and all of all sorts. And I know you do other types of performing in that. I think Jesus can relate. We were just talking about this, like the sermon on the Mount is his greatest hits. He didn't give that whole sermon, people think. Those were his bits. How many times do you think Jesus told the prodigal son story? Hundreds of times. I'm sure he told it hundreds. He had a patter. He had a, a moment that maybe got a laugh. You know what I mean? Yep. Like he was a showman. And you know why? Because he had to grab people. That's he right. He had to grab people. People were on the run. Um, if he told something boring, they wouldn't listen. And he taught mainly, I love talking about this stuff. He taught mainly in stories. Yeah. He told stories and some of the stories were funny. You know, yeah. I'm, I, I did a book on humor and you probably know this, but we miss a lot of Jesus's humor uh, because we're not used to the, the humor of the day. But there are some of these residues, you know, the great line where he says to the Pharisees, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. OK, <laughs> so that's which is now get this in Aramaic. The word for camel and gnat are galma and gamla. So it's wow. a pun. He's making wow. a, and people would have been like, yeah, that's pretty good. You wow. know, so he had to grab people and he, very Jewish. I'm not yes. I'm not trying to well, be funny. I'm no, saying it's I like know. Very yeah. And political. I mean, he's he also today, the gospel reading for the day we're um, talking is he says to Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church. And in, in you know, in Aramaic, it's kephas, which is rock, basically. And one of my old uh, New Testament professors, Dan Harrington, said to me that he's giving him a nickname. It's not just this theological thing. It's basically like you're like, he said, it's like Rocky, like you're kind of a hard headed guy. And yeah, it's like, and some people think that he's using the nickname that Peter had already, meaning, okay, you're Rocky. Yeah. You're the rock on which I'll build my church. Wow. So it's he, his sense of humor is we, we miss it. And that is a whole other discussion, but we, we therefore think that um, humor is somehow inappropriate, but he's Jesus is human. He had a sense of humor. Right. And, and, the, and the cosmic joke, the conundrum that we're all stuck inside of demands some sort of snap out of it moment. And laughter can be that little mini. It's a, it's, and even even like in the Old Testament, you know, my favorite is um, Abraham and Sarah. You know, that story where the, the angels come to Abraham and Sarah and basically say you're going to have a, a son and they're like one hundred and ninety. 
and um, <laughs> respectively. And Sarah laughs. There's the line is, and Sarah laughs. And God says, why did you laugh? And Sarah said, I didn't laugh. And God said, yes, you did. And they named the son Isaac, which means he laughs. So it's just, but we, 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 we're so like, we're so kind of conditioned to thinking, oh, it's all like serious and. Or it has to be bad comedy. You know what I mean? There's, I do a lot of, I write a lot of church characters. I write a lot of church scenes. I love that world. And a line, a reader, a reader, you know, in a stage direction is like what happens. And I write church laughter, meaning it's the type of laugh you do at a joke where, you know, I write church jokes too. It's like Hosanna in the Hyatt. He's in a hotel or, (laughs) or what do you get the man who made everything? Like, what do you give God? Uh, These sorts of, these are church jokes, but like really all jokes can really pierce into some beautiful truth. Yeah, I mean, and it's a kind of, I think also I do a lot of spiritual direction. And the other day I was with some guy, I won't say who it is. And he was going through a dark time and I said something to him and he just laughed. It was like this uh, of recognition. And I said, look, this, why you're laughing? It's a, it's a, it's a lightness. It's a kind of recognition and it's a sort of, a, it's a freeing. Yeah. I got a lot of church jokes too. You think you got church jokes? <laughs> I even have, you know, there's a, there's a, we only there's have a, two hours. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's a, well, there's a genre of Jesuit Franciscan Dominican jokes, those kind of jokes. There's a whole. I don't even know what that would be. Um, like a Jesuit of a Franciscan and a Dominican. Yeah, I'll tell you one. Can I, tell you one? <laughs> I won't get it. I don't know if I'll get well, it. Well, so the try. idea is the Franciscan's very humble. Yeah. Right. Let the Dominican might be learned and the Jesuit is full of himself. So, so, so <laughs> okay. I'll tell you, there's a million of them. So Pretty I'll tell standard. you a quick one. I'm not going to stretch it out. Sure. So a Jesuit Dominican and a Franciscan um, are in a, they're driving. You could stretch this out forever, driving and they get into a car accident and they die and they go up to heaven and they're standing up in front of the pearly gates. And again, it can be a very long joke and they, they go in and they're in God's throne room and God looks down at the Franciscan and says, um, son of St. Francis. Um, he says, uh, oh, what is he? What's the question? Son of St. Francis. Um, why are you yes why should i let you into heaven and um he says uh oh god you know i'm i'm so poor and i'm so humble and i just want to be let into heaven and um uh you know i just i just think i i try to do my my best for the poor and he says uh welcome to welcome to heaven son of saint francis and he goes in and then he says he looks down at the uh looks down at the dominican he says son of saint dominic he says um why, why should I let you into heaven? And uh, he says, oh, I've, I've tried to you know, preach and really teach people about you. And he says, okay, welcome to heaven. And um, he says, uh, son of St. Ignatius, the Jesuit. He says, why should I let you into heaven? And um, he says, well, I think, um, actually, I think you're in my seat. <laughs> classic, classic. So there's a lot of those. I mean, but these things, the sermons, I I grew up non-denominational, which was really thinly veiled evangelical. And the sermons that I remember were the ones that were funny. Um, I was a kid. I was a kid. But I I mean, like music and humor have a potential to reach. Again, Richard makes this point where I think it's something like 30, 70, there's people that like, I think it's intuitives and something else. And there's people that like, like talking about this stuff. And then there's the people that you really need to get through their feelings. So Mm -hmm. like the humor and the music, I'd see my dad 
who is not a, a theological man crying at the music. So there's God coming to my father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and, and all of us would laugh at that. And then, you know, I, I really enjoyed the like talking about it and get it. But, but if, you know, this is again, a Richard point, like you, it can't just be for the people who love to intellectualize it and discuss it and, and know Aramaic or whatever it is. It has to be broader than that. Yeah, it does. And I mean, and also this is why Jesus is, Jesus himself is preaching in very simple ways, right? He's using, um, uh, as they say, things from nature and everyday life in the parables. I mean, he's, he's being very basic. I mean, right. he's not, he's not talking about these great theological concepts. He's talking about weeds and wheat and birds and clouds. And- I can't believe you said weeds and wheat. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask you what your favorite, and uh, forgive me if you get these questions all the time. No, that's okay. But a favorite parable or verse, I already mentioned the prodigal son, which I have to imagine mm. we both enjoy. Yeah. Let the weeds grow with the wheat is one of mm. my mm. favorite Un, I wouldn't even say undertaught. I would say not taught. It's not. That is it's, not taught, right? Yeah, because people don't like the idea of let these things take care of themselves and God will judge at the end because they want to judge. Right. Because know? it sure is fun to say, oh, yeah, like he's, he's, a, he's a weed and I'm, a, I'm the wheat and blah, blah, blah. By the way, I just remembered, I, I think I screwed up that last joke, but I do tell better jokes. Hilarious. Um, what's wrong what's with that? I think you're in my seat. That worked for me. Thank you. Um, you have to set it up more where the, he looks down. I have to say that he looks down from the throne. That's part of it. He looks down at the throne. Uh, there you go. Anyway, I guess, so most I, people, I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm not going to be a stand-up comedian after all. <laughs> most people you mentioned, God, we're, we're going to go ahead and picture the, we're going to picture Zeus. <laughs> we're going to picture um, Zeus in the throne. You know that my favorite line from that, um, from the weeds and the wheat, which I use all the time, which is just very great. Like if someone does something to you, you know, like online or you know, like tries to like screw with you or something, or, you know, you say, an enemy has done this. <laughs> is that, that parable? It's a parable because the, the, the enemy comes in and 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 scatters um w- uh, weeds weeds like darnel like this the seeds of of weeds into yeah. the wheat, and they come to him and say, "Oh my gosh, all these weeds have come up!" And the the, the owner says, "An enemy, an has, enemy done. has done uh, this." I love that. <laughs> it's just so great. It's so dark too. Uh, an enemy has done this. For people who listen to this podcast, know because I probably say it every episode. But Jesus says, "Let the weeds grow with the wheat," because if you pick the weeds, you'll pick out the wheat as well. So I find that to be a very self-compassionate mm. verse, meaning. When I, I just mentioned my dog, you might think I'm joking, but my dog barks so much. He is one of the greatest sources of, he, he flares up my anger in a way that makes me uncomfortable with myself. Mm, okay. You know, it's not, it's not that I get no, angry. I understand. Yeah. I don't do anything to my dog. I don't yell at him. I certainly don't touch him, but he makes me feel a way that I'm uncomfortable with because it's not yeah. decent to feel so angry. Yeah. But really, I know it's psychological trauma. It's growing up in a loud household. It's loud sounds aren't safe. So it's all this stuff. And I just go, let the weeds grow with the weed, Pete. Like, it's okay. Like, I, I want to go in and rip out my anger. But I find a lot of value in going, have some compassion and some understanding for yourself. For yourself, right. And also, I think the weeds and the weed, that's a great insight. I never thought of it in terms of the individual. I always think of it in terms of other people. I think part of it is like, they're... Like pull him up, you know, oh, but also it, it also doesn't give the other person the, the chance to, to grow. Right. I mean, mm. some people might start off as a weed and they grow and they convert. And if you just rip that person out or if you don't give them the opportunity to to change, it, it, it is it's a beautiful parable. But by the same token, what I like about that parable, you know, at the end, there is a kind of it does matter. 
You know what Whether I mean? You were a weed or a wheat. Well, I mean, it matters. Yeah. Like I, I remember a long time ago, one of my favorite, I, I get these like um, great little sayings from my Jesuit brothers and um, we're talking about God's judgment and people have a hard time with that. Oh, you know, it's judgment and blah, blah, blah. But that's what the weed and the wheat, the weeds and the wheat are about, you know, I mean, there's a judgment at the end, you know, and then the, the weeds are burned in unquenchable fire. I mean, it's a pretty clear parable. And I was talking to this Jesuit friend and he said, you know what? I love this. I use this with people. A God who doesn't judge is a God who doesn't care. Hmm. And God certainly cares about how we live our lives, you know, like, so there is, he cares. And so That's you don't want to be, you don't want to be a weed. You want to be the wheat, but yeah, That's use that, use that. An enemy has done this. That's one of my favorite uses of scripture. Well, I wonder if we, if we differ on this, I mean, like, I think when now we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. I know mm-hmm. there's nothing I can say that you, that you don't know a million times over, but you know, it, it's funny. I remember being in church and my father used to use that verse, in my opinion, incorrectly, meaning he thought rain was a bad thing. So when bad things happened to him, it'd be like, well, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And I would be like, I think rain was a good thing in the desert. <laughs> yeah, like you, you want desert. it to be rain. That's interesting. Um, so point. it's like, oh no, rain is a good thing. And it falls right. on the good and the bad. Right. I also think of the parable of, of the three workers. And, and I say this all the time, but one arrives in the morning, one arrives at noon, one arrives in the evening and they all work until nine o'clock mm, yeah. and then they all get paid the same. Yeah. And Jesus tells these stories too, that are sort of like Zen koans. They don't make any sense. Why would mm-hmm. you pay three people who work different amount, the same amount. Well, because you can't divide infinity because you were already in to begin with the rain falls on, everybody. So the idea that your separate self as evil, your false self doing bad things, therefore needing to be judged, otherwise God doesn't care, doesn't really match the indiscriminate love that is holding that evil person together, yeah. animating that person from the inside. Yeah. Please tell me, tell me what you think about that. Well, I mean, it, it, we, we don't know how, I mean, look, God, God's, God's also more merciful than we can imagine. Right. So I think, you know, God's judgment is also includes his mercy. But I do think that, you know, at some point, God does care what we do. That's what I'm saying about the judging. I don't think the people are going to be, you know, there's half the people are going to be put into unquenchable fire. But I think that God cares what we do. And I think that, you know, has some bearing on our relationship with God and whatever happens to us in the afterlife. I mean, look, you know, Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler, I think are going to be treated a little differently in the afterlife. Now, how will that be? I don't know. And is God's mercy enough to forgive Adolf Hitler? God's mercy is enough to forgive everybody, right? But I think God cares that Adolf Hitler did what Adolf Hitler did and Mother Teresa did what Mother Teresa did or whoever you want to pick as your, your, your avatar. So, yeah, but, I, but I think, but I do think, and you know, Jesus, look, a lot of the parables, it's hard to, it's, I mean, look, they're uncomfortable for us. A lot of Jesus's parables are about judgment. A lot of them, the sheep and the goats, which everybody, Matthew 25, which is about helping your neighbor, Right. And like, you know, do this for the least of my brothers. I mean, it's, it's about judgment, but and that's OK. But I think we have to understand we can't be paralyzed by that or terrified because God's all merciful too. my my image of God, truly. And I, I like I said, I'm not going to speak for God, but I think at the end of our lives, I think God. You know, we I think we have to ask for forgiveness for stuff. And I think that the this is my own understanding. I think the people are, that are in hell or whatever that is are the people that can't accept and can't say, forgive me. You know, they're mm. kind of stuck there. 
You mean, so, they but could- who, but look, who knows? I don't, I mean, I don't know for sure. <laughs> I don't know, but I certainly, but, but, but truly a lot of Jesus's parables are, they're judgment parables. And, you no, know, I, I know. And, and a lot of Jesus's parables aren't historically sound. You, I mean, we both know that uh, they're, they're written later to justify, you know, a church that's so, kind of controlling some, a few of them, but a lot of them really do go back to, as they say, the historical Jesus, you know, that's really like the, Anyway, like the Sermon on the Mount, like, you know, the, the first part everybody likes, but, you know, there's also like, woe to you, Rich. I mean, he's pretty, he's pretty blunt, you know, woe who you are comfortable and. Right. But, but no, I think, I think to your point, I think people have been unfortunately conditioned to think of God and Richard Rohr talks about this a lot as only the judge, which is ridiculous because Jesus's main image of God is, as you were saying, like the, the prodigal son, it's the loving father. It's the, right. it's, and, and there's the judgment. I mean, the, the prodigal son should be like kicked out, but he's not. But he also doesn't say, I'm sorry. He just comes back because he's yeah. broke. <laughs> Interest- well, that's a good point. Yeah, he doesn't saying- tear his robes. He doesn't beat his breast. We had a lot of ways to say, I'm but, sorry. But yeah, so he just but, came back. But there is a kind of, so even in that passage, which is beautiful, there is a kind of judgment on himself. And there is a sense of like, he's done something wrong, but he's forgiven. Well, that, kinda, that sort of speaks to, I like this notion. And again, it's not about what I like or, or not like. I like this notion that hell is a, is a consciousness is a is an inability to accept an overabundant and overflowing cup of grace. Like you block yourself. And I see people, living people doing this. Absolutely. Richard yeah. says faith is the 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 lifelong journey of faith is accepting that you are accepted. Mm, Getting beautiful. to to Hitler and, and Mother Teresa, however, I'm I'm sort of like, who's doing it? And I'm gonna put this to you. I'm, when it comes are like, to, then now we're going to get into like the mystery of evil, which I will not be able to solve. Well, neither of us will. And, and please don't feel on the hook. No, it's okay. I certainly don't expect either of us to be able to crack this. But I know you love Merton. We both love mm, Thomas Merton. Yeah. And I love true self, false self, the concept mm-hmm. of the true self and the mm-hmm. false self. The false self, for, for people who, who don't know as much, maybe is, is your ego. It might be mm. a construct of your, of your personality, your history, your past, the way that you process things um and then your true self is the light of god the divine spark inside of you that's not thinking your thoughts but it's the witnessing presence that's seeing your thoughts we could just say it's your soul i like to say that it's a piece of god you know it's it's mm-hmm. it's the christ inside of you mm-hmm. so when it comes to like i say, i've said this a million times there's the shooter in texas the famous sniper who killed all those people yeah and he left that note that said please dissect my body I haven't been able to stop thinking about murdering people for the Mm. past six months. I'm paraphrasing. Um, Please, when I'm dead, please look in my body. They look in his body. He has a huge tumor, and it's in the part of his brain that controls impulse control, violent menace, all that sort of stuff. So it's like, who who did it? He had a tumor. It grew. I'm not. What I'm. I'm not saying he's not culpable. I understand. I'm saying, aren't we all sort of not culpable? Isn't Hitler's Obviously, he he did evil. Now we're really in the deep end. Why do you have to pick Hitler? <laughs> He's usually people, someone people can agree on at least, you know. Right. No, I know. But isn't there a humility to going, let's use you, you, Father Jim, grow up with that physicality, with that biology. Let's not use Hitler. Let's use Jim Martin. That's, a, that's you're, a <laughs> you're born in the incarnation that is Adolf Hitler. And everything that happened to him happened to you. Isn't there a humility to going, I could become full of black hate? Yeah. I mean, look, we're all sinful. I mean, that doesn't mean we're all Hitler, right? But um, we're all sinful. Couldn't we then become 
Hitler, like if you yeah, were born we on a planet where we're like, instead of eating oranges, we kill children. And you're like, okay. Like, like if, we, if you and I were born in ancient Greece, we would both have multiple lovers of different genders and that would be completely normal. But we're not. We're in the West and, and, we, and some of us are priests and some of us have wives and that's normal. Like where, where, where does God go, you know what, that's fucked up. Like, like I, I don't understand. Well, because I think you're put in a certain um, environment and you have choice and you also have a sense. I think interiorly we have a sense of what is what is right and what is wrong, but also we have a sense of what God wants and what God doesn't want. I mean, you know, not perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think part of it is choice. Right. So let's say someone who's, I mean, I think there's a good reason for, you know, uh, what do you call it? innocent by reason of, you know, insanity. Right. I mean, people, they don't have a choice, right. They're, they're insane. However, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a psychologist, mm. but I think here's what happens. I think what we all, we all have, um, sort of good impulses and bad impulses, you know, false self, true self. But I think, you know, sometimes when we take it out of the realm of like just everyday life and we put it in terms of Hitler it can become so abstract. Sure. I think we need to talk to most of the people who are kind of listening to this, which is, look, you know that you have impulses that are selfish and unselfish. And frequently we choose selfish and that's a choice. You know, you can be a jerk to people and mean and greedy and all about me, me, me. And that's a choice. And so I think that's where you, the, the idea of sort of the invitation, to, you know, to be the person that God calls you to be, which is a more loving person, but it is a choice. So yeah, maybe the person was in is it Starkweather. Was that his name? The the fellow who killed all those people? Oh, wow. And, wow. Yeah. You, you're, I should remember that because I no, I just remember the, wasn't there, remember that song? Wasn't it? I don't like Mondays. Wasn't that also his, um, think that's from that i I maybe i may i think that's it but in any event so he may not be i I don't know much about the story he may not be culpable because of some physical problem okay fine most of us are you know able to make good decisions and sometimes we don't you know it's it's a lot of selfishness i mean i think that's kind of at the root of a lot of the stuff it's interesting i just wonder where the grace of going, well, he had a tumor stops. Cause well, that is a very good question on, on a more subtle level. You were raised by who you were raised by. Mm-hmm. You saw what you saw. Yeah. It, it, it really That's gets a, tricky. It does. That is a very, very, very good and almost unanswerable question. What gives people, <laughs> no, truly what gives no, people, I'm just the, delighting no, that we're in the good space. We're in that no, unanswerable what, good space. What gives people the grace to make those decisions? That is a very, you know, one of my favorite um, experiences, I worked with a, um, uh, an acting troupe called the Labyrinth Theater Company um, about 10, 15 years ago. And mm. It was on a play called The Last Days of Judas Iscariot by a friend of mine, Stephen Adley Girgis, who ended up winning the Pulitzer Prize for another play. Wow. And it was directed by Philip Seymour Hoffman. So I got involved in this, in this play, which was putting Judas on trial. It's a brilliant play. And I, it's, 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 uh, it's produced lots and lots of different places in the country. And in the end, I won't give it away, but in the end, Jesus I, I comes. I wouldn't mind if you did. I think well, in the end, Jesus, Jesus comes to Judas, who is in purgatory. And they have this tremendous conversation. And one of the, and, and basically Judas, and, and one, one of the sort of subtexts of the play is that Jesus has been doing this for eons, has been coming to Judas and sort of, you know, seeing if he can ask for forgiveness and Judas says this great line, and this came out of a lot of conversations I had with the playwright. Why didn't you make me good enough so that I could love you? 
Yeah. Like in other words, why, why did, why did you God not give me the grace to make those decisions? And I have to say, I mean, I don't, this is a very deep level of kind of spirituality that that is a very difficult question. What gives a person the, the grace to do it? I, you know, part of it is, the, I think that sort of theological question is, you know, does everyone have the grace to do it? But some people choose not to like, right. you know, everyone, everyone kind of does have, let's, let's take something super simple. I've been thinking a lot about this during Lent, just being kind to people. Okay. So, um, everyone has problems in their lives. That great line, um, be careful, be, be kind to everybody because they're all fighting a battle. That is a great line. So it's you think over, it's over Richard's door in his office. It's, Everybody's it's carrying an unseen burden. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, and it's true. Yeah. So people have physical problems, emotional problems, mental problems. Okay. Everybody has some cross or some difficulty, but not everybody is mean to other people. Right. And so, what, you know, I think ultimately we do have the choice to be kind, to be generous, to be, and, and I, I found that more and more as kind of like the heart of the Christian life. Like you don't have to pass along your anger. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to be mean. And unfortunately some people are, and they think that they, they have an excuse to be mean. But so I guess what I'm saying is I, as we're talking, I'm kind of realizing this. I think the grace is available to everybody, but some people don't choose to, to say yes to it. Like it's, it's an, you know, when Jesus says to the disciples, follow me, they can say no. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder, I mean, like I, my, uh, belief today (laughs) is that there was consciousness, there was an awareness Mm -hmm. and we can call that primal, unborn, infinite, unknowable, uncomprehensible awareness Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, we can call it God. And then that God is the zest for life, is why there are parasites that will swim up your urine stream to feed on your cells. Because I was just thinking about that. I, I went on a mission. I was, in, I was in East Africa for a while, and I, I knew all about those parasites. That's right. I went yeah. to the South America on a mission trip, <laughs> yeah, that's right. and they were like, don't pee in the river. Exactly. Because, and I was yeah. like, okay, on one hand, disgusting. On the other hand, Father Jim... Oh my God, the yearning of life to live. You know, we can all agree on that. A lot of people sure. listening don't believe in, in any sort of theology or God or mm-hmm. whatever. But we can all sort of see life likes to live. It wants to live. It wants to reproduce. Yeah, life, life finds a way, as they say. Life finds a way. Look at, look at space. Uh, it hates mm-hmm. a void. It fills it. I sort mm-hmm. of think of God's love as being that. It fills mm, beautiful. These, these voids, right? Because... This is it. All the clues are here. You said it yourself. Jesus is always pointing, like, look around. And we can look at more than we've ever been able to look at. And I see life churning and undulating and loving itself and feeding itself and dying and being reborn. And it's just some days it couldn't be clearer. And you're just home. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. What was I saying? We were talking about... You were talking about the uh, grace and the ability of people to choose. Right. So the, that one consciousness, that prime, that beginning consciousness, mm-hmm. it's always been mm-hmm. in, in our understanding. It's mm-hmm. outside of time. Wants to it's play a, a game. Oh, it, go ahead. It's, it's, I would say it's present to us. It's always present to us. Sure. That, that, and I would go even further. I would say it's not simply, it's not simply the energy and the, and the zest, which I think is, is beautiful, but it's, it's being itself. 
I mean, it's one of the, one of the great philosophical questions is, which I love, I heard this in philosophy when I was a young Jesuit is why is there something rather than nothing at all? Right. Yes. And so it's, it's just being, and I think that that, that Carl Rahner, a Jesuit theologian said that grace is, which I love is God's self-communication to us, which is so beautiful. So that. we're, we're able to be, we're, we're, it's, that's present to us. And, and I think that most people, if they, and I talk about this in the prayer book, um, if they are a, a conscious and sort of attentive, and if they are encouraged to think about it, know that within them is that pull towards that life and that good and that, you know, source of being. And then there's a pull away, mm-hmm. you know, and it's destructive and it is the false self versus the true self. It's good versus evil. It's, and I think people are aware of that, but they have to be encouraged to know that, that what they're feeling inside of them really is, you know, and what do we call that? That's, that's conscience. That's where God kind of makes God's self known. Right. So to that, there's the one, there's the one awareness and then it splits. What I'm kind of getting at is instead of looking at human beings as like these separate things, like animation cells on top of a background, we are part of this. And as it is in this world, we are, we're a part of the world. As Alan Watts said, we didn't come into the world. We came out of the world. Mm. Richard Rory in the universal crisis, the same thing about Jesus. He didn't come into the world. He came out of the world. Mm. He -hmm. was a product of, of this. Mm -hmm. So the one splits into the many to, to dance, to Leela, to play, Mm. to express itself, to learn Mm -hmm. love, to risk evil for an authentic love an authentic relationship and to learn and to explore and to ring every bell, it wants to be a minnow in the ocean. It wants to be the sun. It wants to be Father Jim. It wants to be Pete. It wants to be Pete when he's angry at his dog. It wants to be my dog, confused why his owner seems so angry. So it's playing this game. How, how can We can't have forward without back. At the end of the show, don't I take my mask off? Aren't I come into my true self and look at, say, a family member who's been so troublesome to me? Don't we both take our masks off and laugh or do we go now let's 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 whip the bad guy or do I say thank you bad guy for you're what taught me how to forgive you're what taught me how to endure you're what you can't have black without white you can't have big without little and we need these players in the show you're a theater guy we need we need Judas we need okay. Judas yeah, I, I yes, I agree with that. Actually, let me change my chair for a second. My chair <laughs> it's a lo- longer show than I thought. Hold on. I love a little touch of humanity in our depth conversation. We're going to the better. Oh, that does look better. That's a better chair. <laughs> I more comfortable chair. I, I um, love it. I agree with you. And I think that one of the things that you, we, you very articulately talk about is the um it's the kind of unknowableness of, of the universe and God's perspective on all of this, right? Which is larger than, than we can understand. By the same token, I do think that there is, there, there is an invitation for us to be on the good side, right? I think the only, and I know you're not saying this, I think the only challenge about the way that you presented that is that some people might mistake it for, um, well, you know, kind of anything goes and, you know, we're all, we're all the same and it doesn't matter. And eventually it'll all come out in the end. But I, I think, you know, the life of Christ shows us that, you know, there are choices, right. And it's not the same, the, the person who crucifies him or punches Pilate or, 
uh, Caiaphas or someone like whoever you want to pick as the, 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 the bad guys eventually punches Pilate is not the same as Jesus. Right. And so there, there is, there is a kind of, there are, there are paths that lead us closer to that source of being and there are paths that take us away from that. You know, I think so. so I, I, but I think, but I think in the end, overarching all this is God's mercy. You know, Merton's line, mercy within mercy within mercy. I truly believe that one of my favorite lines from Therese of Lisieux, who's a Carmelite nun, who said, I believe in hell, but I believe it's empty. Oh, which that's is, beautiful. and I do think that God, look, if, if you talk about someone like Judas or which was the, who was the protagonist of this play or, or Hitler, Hitler, I think everybody can kind of agree on Hitler or, or whoever is your, sure. your, your villain is God. Does God's, is God's mercy big enough to forgive Hitler? Absolutely. Now the question is, you know, is Hitler able to say in purgatory, yeah, I was wrong. That's a, that, that's a hard thing for me to kind of get my mind around too. I don't well, know if he could say that. That's the accepting that you're accepted thing. I, I can right. really hear that. You know why father Jim, I feel like we're in a really good area is because it doesn't make sense. I love that. The tingle of paradox where we can say, Yes, the spirit of the divine in the villain is the same spirit of the divine in the the hero. Yet, it, that can be true, and it can be true that it matters what you do. That now we're in a paradoxical place. Well, I would say that there is a spirit of the divine in the in the villain, but he's not choosing it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's you know, it's it 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 means something, and it matters, is what I'm saying. You know, and I know you're saying the same thing, so. I sometimes think that the, yeah. So, so, so on the one hand, we don't understand it all, but on the other hand, we do understand a lot of it. Like, I mean, you know, this is as a Christian, Jesus came to help us like understand like what God wants us to do. And it's pretty clear in terms of loving people and forgiving people and helping the poor. And, right. And, you know, instead of kill, you know, instead of killing 6 million or 10 million people. So it's, right. it's, it is a choice. And I think, I think the key is, to to encourage people to know that within them they have these these impulses and these voices and that and that look then this is one of the, the 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 chief points of the book is that this one is one way that God is communicating to you you know and it's not simply these kind of crazy impulses this is God's communication to you and it's it's up to you to listen or not listen you know it's a right. it's a choice right it is a choice every every everything that happens to you is an opportunity to lean into the spirit or, I agree. or lean away. Yeah, and, that's, I agree. and that is grace. That Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, don't you t- I take a lot of encouragement in that. So going back to my dog, there are times when I come in and I'm in the present. I'm in the present mm-hmm. and I don't have the story. My dog shouldn't bark. And then I hear the sound of my dog barking the same as the sound of a bird singing. It can be mm-hmm. beautiful because I'm centered. But then I have the times when I go... I don't want to put down the animal, but into my animal and I'm flooded with all these feelings and these chemicals. And I, and I sort of lose myself, my high uppercase S self. I lose. Yeah. And a lot of that's, you know, a lot of that is false self, true self, you know, Uh, and it's, it's being okay with, with your true self. And I think, you know, someone, a lot of people ask me, uh, well, what if your true self is terrible? And it's like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's possible. I don't think that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I get that a lot. Like, Oh, what if you find your true self? And it's like, you know, again, it's Adolf Hitler. I hate, I hate, I hate keep using this example, but, um, but yeah, I mean, your, your true self is the self God created, and that's not going to be a selfish person. I think the difficulty is when we find our true self and it is, 
more selfless and less egocentric, then it's a threat to us. You know, that's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to kind of get rid of the false self. Well, that's the vanishing. And isn't that what Jesus, in my interpretation, when he's saying woe to the rich, um, this is again, some, who knows where I got this. I read a lot of different things and different things jump out, but the idea that being, um, poor or broken or not clinging too much to the world helps you go inside and find the real treasure. Yeah, I think I think that works on a couple levels. So blessed are the poor. One of the things I love is that um, the Greek is, I think it's um, patokos, which means patokoi, those who crouch. So mm. it's not just people who are materially poor. It's, it's people who are really struggling and begging, basically. Blessed are those who beg. And mm. they are often people who are um, also more reliant on God, right? Because they have so little and they, they go to God first. But I also think it's a, so it works on that level too. I mean, because in other places it's blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, like this humility. But I think the woe to the rich is also, you know, Jesus, I mean, as with all the parables and all of everything he says, it works on a million different levels. I also think he's talking about taking care of the materially poor, meaning woe to you rich because you're not caring for people. And this is what I want you to do. I mean, Jesus, I, I always like to say that, you know, God chooses to be poor. God could have been a very wealthy leader or, you know, or a king. He could have incarnated himself or God's self as a king. He's a poor carpenter from a marginal town that is a joke in the New Testament. You know, that Nathaniel says, that's one of the other great jokes in the New Testament. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a diss on Jesus's town. Right. And, and, and and one of yeah. my great, one of my, one of the things I love about that the most is that what does Jesus do when he hears someone insult his town? He says, now there's a guy I can trust <laughs> and he invites him to join the group. So there's another sign of Jesus's sense of humor, but Jesus is poor. His family's poor. He's from this crummy little town of 200 to 400 people. People make jokes about it. And then when he stands up in the synagogue in Nazareth to say that he's the Messiah, they say, who the carpenter? Because right. it's such a, it was seen as a kind of a low class occupation. He works with his hands, and this is this is who God chooses. God becomes poor for us, and also becomes sorry. This is like my little I also becomes it. vulnerable as a baby. God is vulnerable, the most vulnerable thing you could imagine. A little baby and a crucified man. Is mm-hmm. pretty vulnerable. I mean, yeah. that is a very hard image for our egos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, leaves comes into the world naked, leaves the world naked, and humiliated. I'm humiliated. I, I hope you know my love for Christ is is great. So I'm oh, not. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm not. I'm not putting him down when I not say at all. humiliated. I mean, that's the he point. Is, you, no, <laughs> yeah. I mean he is. I mean he is humiliated, and there is no worse punishment than to be and he was naked probably naked on the cross so everybody could see and then one of my favorite lines that just gives me goosebumps is that when when he's on the cross people still come up and taunt him even when he's on the cross you 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 said you would you know restore the temple take yourself down and Mm. and there's a greek the greek word is like o-u-a that there's like they're like saying ha ha to him it's in the gospels Uh, ha ha while he's on the cross. Wow. And so, and here's the, here's the, once again, here's the choice. So Jesus could choose to be, you know, he could say like, okay, I'm going to kill you all or whatever. And he doesn't, he doesn't lash out. And so it's his, his, his choice is always the choice for love. Always, always. And that leads to his death and then ultimately his resurrection. So. I mean, so, so much there. 
it's funny. I'll say, I'll say. <laughs> like, can I just, can I just take a moment for love here and just say, I'm so enjoying this. I'm really yeah, loving me too. it. I listen, I could talk about Jesus till the cows come home. I, it's funny. My first question for you seems so uh, banal now was, do you ever get tired of talking about this? Cause I didn't want to burn. Never. You. No, I, never. I'm I could happy. talk about Jesus. I really could forever. It's funny. I well, maybe a, not for hour. Jesus would come and he'd be like, enough. <laughs> I'll tap you out. Enough. <laughs> I, I found that when it comes to this sort of stuff, my appetite is also insatiable. I, I wrote a book about um, my spiritual path and all that. And when I did the book tour, I was like, this isn't like stand-up. In, in, I love stand-up. But in between the second and third show on a Saturday night, I'm not exactly busting. But when we're talking... I know we're recording it, but you start feeling a communion. You know what I mean? You start it. Well, you, and where do you think that comes from? Exactly. Right. And I would also say this. <laughs> I let me, let me, let me, uh, I want to say confess something. I'll share something with you. So for the longest time, I'll absolve you. I would. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> someone said to me the other day, it was funny. They said, can you go to confession yourself and absolve yourself? I was like, no, Hilarious. I can't do that. Hilarious. Um, you know, I absolve myself. <laughs> Um, not without a mirror. So I, um, for the longest time, I was just obsessed with learning as much as I could about Jesus, the, the, what's called the historical Jesus and just what life was like in Nazareth. And it was, and I, I, I wrote a book on it. I wrote a book called Jesus, a pilgrimage. And, um, and I, I, I don't share this with too many people, but since we're talking about it, I always thought like, what, what is that? like, what's up with that? Like, what's not, what's wrong with me, but I just couldn't get enough. Eventually I realized this was the way that God had of kind of drawing me closer to Jesus. It's kind of a desire. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, well, I'll tell you, here's another funny story. So I helped, um, I don't want to drop names, but I was helping, I helped Martin Scorsese on his film silence about, um, you know, Jesuit uh, missionaries in 17th century Japan. Mm. And there was a line and I sort of helped with the script a little bit. And, um, and there was a line in there that didn't strike me as true. And it was about um, Andrew Garfield's character. Who's the main, he's the main uh, priest in that film. And I put in something from my own life, um, which is that he says, and this is the word I'm, I always come up with. And maybe it's the word that will fit you. I'm fascinated by him. Mm. And it's, and where does that fascination come from? It comes from God. That's how God draws you and me closer to Jesus. He, he puts that into our, into us and we're fascinated by him. And to the point where I, I will read almost any notebook book about the historical Jesus, because you always find something new, like that Gamla Gamla thing. Yeah, it's fascinating. Sure. It's just fascinating. Yeah. It's fun to nerd out on it. Uh, and, and, it it's, and it's more than nerding out. When I, when I read Richard unknowingly quoting Alan Watts, you know what I mean? Like, and mm -hmm. you see that God is one. You start mm -hmm. seeing like truth is truth. Mm -hmm. and, and everybody's finding it in different pockets. It, mm -hmm. it delights me more than anything. To that, uh, here's a loaded question, but not loaded in a bad way, in a rich way. Aren't we um, devaluing the life of Jesus when we turn him into a ticket to heaven? Aren't we missing some of the richness of the message? When well, we it depends what you mean by ticket to heaven. I mean, what do you mean by that? I mean, I don't, I know what I mean by that, but I wonder what you, what, what, what do you mean by ticket to heaven? I'm literally quoting somebody who recently, I don't know them very well, texted me out of nowhere. Really weird text. You must get this constantly. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, but for me, it's weird. 
And somebody was just like, I've always looked at Buddhism as like a, as a self-help guide that sort of helps you live. But Jesus is my ticket to the next world. And I was like, I don't even know how to begin to tell you. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you know, right. It's a little bit like it's kind of, um, you know, sort of like functional. You know, or or transactional, but maybe the person means you always have to give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the person means I have found my way and that's not so bad, but I mean, to take it to heaven is a bit, you know, it's like, it it should be kind of an encounter with mystery, you know, or the, the, the other, but, but I, maybe they mean in a good way, I've found meaning for my life and whatever, but yeah, that I also wouldn't despair. I don't think you need to disparage. You're so fun. Yeah, that's right. You don't have to disparage Buddhism. I also think that's a misinterpretation of Buddhism, certainly, but I also thought it was a misinterpretation of Christianity, but you know, you're really giving a beautiful answer here because Val and I were talking about some, uh, somebody we know in our family and I was talking about like how much study I've had to do of the Bible to even begin to understand it. And like taking the blessed or the poor in spirit, when somebody kind of explained to me, like the less you have floating around in mm-hmm. your ego, the more room there is for the, for God sure. to come. In. Yeah, I was like, holy, I needed somebody to explain yeah. that to me. Yeah. Now, now we're Catholic, uh, you know, the Protestants are out there freestyling it with the Bible. But then my wife said something really compassionate, similar to what you're saying, which was like, we don't know how truth and love comes to people. We don't know how liberally and, and creatively God is touching or, or the truth is touching people's hearts. So just because somebody gets up and reads the Bible every morning, which was I was taking issue with the efficacy of that, we both came to that compassionate response where we were like, who am I to say that this guy who texted me or that person isn't getting it because yeah. they're not doing it how I'm doing well, it. Well, or, or, you know, uh, judge not as Jesus said, or as Pope Francis said, who am I to judge? You know, his five most famous words. Um, <laughs> but also you don't, yeah, I think part of it is, you know, as someone who does a lot of spiritual direction, you don't know, you always give people the benefit of the doubt um, because you don't know what they mean by that. And that might mean something, you know, that might mean something really profound to them, right? That's my right. ticket to heaven may mean, maybe some, like I found the, the meaning for my life or something. It does sound a little transactional, though. I think one. I mean, uh, uh, one of the things I I think is important to talk about too is that um, I think people say, "Oh, once I believe in Jesus, then I'm going to heaven." Well, you know, you have to, you know, as Jesus said, not everybody who says "Lord, Lord" gets into heaven. I mean, you have to actually put it into action. You know, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means to, you know, follow him, obviously, but but to, you know, really. Put it into action. You know, Richard Rohr, we've we've quoted Richard Rohr way too much in this podcast. Not Just even as much as a normal way, episode. <laughs> way too much. One of his great <laughs> one of his great um insights is that Jesus, I and I heard this first from Richard. And I was like, Yeah, I never thought of that. Jesus never says worship me, he says follow me. And yet, what do we do mostly? We do mostly the kind of like, oh, I I I worship him and therefore I'm going to heaven, not um I'm going to walk in his footsteps and, and, and be like him. Right. That's right. You know, and yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about conversion. I I like what Jesus says about pouring old wine into new wines. That's great. I love that. And I've heard that again, you said it yourself. You can take it a million ways. I maybe says something about me. I take it on the personal level. I'm like, I don't just want to um, pour new wine into I don't want to pour old wine into new wines. I don't want to burst. What I want to do is convert the very way that I process reality. That's what I see in in Jesus. Isn't 
isn't just being nice, isn't just being right. uh, cool. Right. It isn't even just about helping the poor. Why are you helping the poor? Is it because you've your eyes yeah. have opened? Well, that's the great word. One of my favorite words to go back to is the Greek word, which is metanoia. And when John the Baptist comes out of the desert and when Jesus comes out of the desert, he says, and the, the translation that we have is that has come down to us in the English is repent and believe in the gospel or repent and believe in the good news. Hmm. And as we were saying earlier, you know, repentance is that metanoia is much more uh, comprehensive. It's a complete uh, the noia is the mind and it's a complete change of mind and heart. Okay. Yeah, it's not mind. just, it's not just repent of the bad things you're doing and don't sin. That's just part of it. I mean, it's, as you're saying, it's have a conversion. I mean, become an, become a different person. And there was great, the great image of the, the new wine and the old wineskins, which I just figured out a couple of weeks ago, frankly, about why that works, because the new wine, you probably know this, the new wine has to ferment and it expands and if you put it in old wineskins that are already expanded, it'll burst. And as Jesus said, it ruins both, right? So right. It's, it's basically you have to have this thoroughgoing conversion. And it, everything, in our, everything in our psyche rebels against that because change is frightening for us. And yet it's the thing that's, that's necessary. And, and that includes the stuff that you really think you can't live without. I, oh, and I'll tell you something else. This just yes. came to me like a few weeks ago. And I just don't think I ever really understood it. So we were in our Jesuit community chapel. And um, I think a lot about a lot of my spirituality is centered around freedom, right? Freedom from things. And, um, and I was looking at, we have a crucifix on our wall. It's, it's, it's a corpus, basically. It's just the body and it's, it's nailed to the wall. It's really beautiful. It's, it's very old. And I just thought, um, it just came to me. Jesus was free even of the, the need for his body. I mean, he even gives that up. He's totally free. He just, he doesn't need people to like him or approve of him. And he also, he doesn't even need to live. It's this radical freedom that, that, you know, is a goal for us. I mean, none of us are there yet, but. I love that so it's, much. It's a goal. Well, it's uh, St. Francis, I believe. I am who I am in God. Nothing more, nothing less. Mm -hmm. That's somebody who knows I am who I am in God. Mm -hmm. And. Mm -hmm we can change that word to the mystery, to awareness, to love or whatever, mm -hmm. but that's somebody not. And, and that is the goal of a good death is to know you can let it all go. The Buddhists have an idea that you're see, you're, you're drifting on a boat further and further from shore mm. as you die. And mm -hmm. it's like, but the goal is to, is to, uh, I'll tell you the story. Cause maybe you'll be able to use it. I heard um, the Saint Amma. She's known as the Hugging Saint. She's a Hindu. Oh yeah, I know about her. Yeah, she's beautiful. Yeah, um, she told the story. She told it in Hindi, but it was translated. And I'll, like your joke, I'll try and tell it briefly. Um, I'm really sad that I messed up that joke. Actually, I didn't ah, say that. you're like me. I, um, I would never live it. That's down. what I'll. That's what I'll focus on now. <laughs> I'm just. I can't get past it because I'm. I'm actually a pretty good joke telling. I. I screwed it up, but whatever. I, all you did was drop the throne, and I'm I'll telling. Be, I'll be free of that need to <laughs> anyway. So go ahead. So what is, what is I'm telling you? It worked. Thank she you. told this story of a doctor brings his dog to work and um, he goes in to check on a patient and uh, he closes. He's never brought his dog to it's now I'm going to mess it up. He's <laughs> never brought the dog to this hospital. He's visiting the hospital. He closes the door. Dogs on the other side of the door. And he starts talking to this patient about dying. She's like, I'm scared of dying. And then at that moment, his dog starts scratching on the door and barking, trying to get in. And he goes, you hear my dog? And she's like, yeah. He goes, my dog's never been in this room. 
My dog doesn't know where it is right now. All it knows is that its master is on the other side. And and that was the mm. attitude of death. It's like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I, where this is or what the mystery mm. is. I know my master's on the other side of the door. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, people ask me that a lot about, you know, what happens to us in the afterlife. And I mean, I think one of the things I find helpful for the Christian, we say that, you know, look, Christ tells us this, Christ shows us this, Christ's resurrection shows us that there's, there's, there's new life for all of us. But I always say to people, look, God has a relationship with you that has lasted. I mean, that began, you know, at your conception or whenever, you know, God, at the beginning of your life, right? Why would God destroy that? Why would God destroy something that is so beautiful and loving and even death can't destroy it? And so that to me is one of the most hopeful. I mean, I really do believe in it, but, but true at the, truly at the end, we do have to just let go, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a letting go of even the body and of the breath and of, and of life. And it's, it's there, there's the, the Paschal mystery, as they say with Jesus, I mean, by his surrender, he, he, he brings new life and he is new life. So but isn't that great? Talk about conversion though. That's somebody to me who knows that his body isn't where it's at. You know, Jesus. It's, yeah. Jesus is going, what do you, what do you want about this body? You know what I mean? We we've we have other examples of mm-hmm. this and other uh, saints, mm-hmm. but it's like that's why conversion. It's not just the ticket. It's it's the open. It's the renewal of your mind. It, it's yeah. seeing everything differently. Yeah, so you- and that's why right. That's why ticket is kind of right. It's ticket is it's <laughs> it's very. It is not. But but again, you know who knows what that guy or I a guy or girl meant. Yeah. Well, um, Father Jim, it, the idea. Let me put this idea to you. Yeah. I'm like. I do sort of think that Pete dies. I don't think my true self dies. I think that's that's the the my Christ nature, my divine nature. That's the that's the precious jewel, and and the Peteness. This is just my, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Me going into the oneness, merging with God, or, yeah. or becoming infinity. Yeah. Pete can't handle that. Pete can't be up there going like, look at Pete. He did it. He believed the right things and he's up here. He's got to go. Like, it's all got to go. It's like when you wake up in the morning, you can't even remember who you are for a second. I feel like that's the pure you that goes on. Yeah, but I think the Peteness is something beautiful and unique and personal and and something that God loves. And so why would God get rid of that? Well, if God I mean, wants I think to, God can drop himself God, in well, Pete and live my life God. again. <laughs> it's like the, um, do you know Anthony DeMello? Do you know that name? I do know that name. I don't okay, know why. So Anthony DeMello. In fact, um, funny enough, um, there was an Anthony DeMello um, story in that movie Soul um, that, that came out. Yeah, oh, maybe yeah. that's why I know. What, yeah. What, oh, the, the what the hell the, is water? The little, the little fish, the little fish. Yeah. So I was talking to this. So the, so the. It turns out that the the director, this Pete Doctor, had read this book that I did called A Jesuit Guide, which is where he found this DeMello story. And I said to him, "There was, which is the little fish about the little fish who says, where is the ocean? And he says, oh, this, you know, and the, the other fish says, oh, you're swimming in. It. Oh, this is, I thought this was just water. No, it's the ocean. But there's another story that I said to him I thought he was going to use, which is, it's very pretty. And it's it's similar to what you're you're talking about. It's called the salt doll. Do you know this this parable? It's told by Anthony DeMello and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a doll. I mean, I'm not from India, but I don't think they have dolls made of salt. So it's a parable. It's a doll made of salt. Oh, doll. Like a D-O-L-L. Yeah. That's my Philly accent. And, um, Oh, you do mean a doll, like a, a, a a D-O-L-L, a doll. 
Not the dish, a doll. No, a doll, right. A doll or a a figure. So it's a doll made of salt. And the doll is trying to find out who it is. Okay. And it goes around and it's a long story. And it goes around and it asks all these people, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And finally, the salt doll, it's very beautiful, uh, comes to the ocean and sees this beautiful, vast expanse of the ocean. And it steps in the ocean and it starts to dissolve. And it says, now I know who I am. Mm. So it's just a pretty story of now he got into a lot of trouble for that because, you know, it, it seems to imply that there's a kind of um, uh, eradication of its personality. But I think there's something very beautiful in that, that we kind of become part of God. But I do think, I really believe this. I believe that Pete stays, Pete becomes Pete becomes the most and the best and the truest Pete that he becomes in God's presence. But Pete still exists. I really believe that because I don't think God would destroy that. Now, how that works and how that happens, and I don't understand. But I do think that Pete Pete is Pete lives in a sense, you know. So, mm. but who knows, you know? I mean, I look, it, I I pray to people in heaven, and I think they hear me, and you know, I pray to the saints, and right. So well, and then the other thing is the other thing is if we're going to use Jesus, if we're going to use Jesus as our, you know, St. Paul says he's the first fruits. So he's the one that we need to look to in terms of our future. If we're going to look at Jesus, Jesus is himself. Right. And a very interesting point, um, which I love to talk about, and I might even quote it if you give me two seconds, is that the Jesus of Nazareth. Um, maybe I'll just describe it. The Jesus of Nazareth. Go, go, go grab it. Whatever, whatever makes you happy. Jesus of Nazareth dies, but he is the same person who comes back after the resurrection. Okay. Right? So it's not a different person. Let me read it to you. It's really beautiful. Sure. That's funny. I, it gets I, to you. It gets to you because some people say um, it, it's, it's, it's by a guy named Stanley Marrow. I just found this. So here it is. It's so beautiful. And I just, I just love it. And it's about Jesus coming back with the wounds. Remember, he comes back with the wounds. And, you know, interestingly, um, he could come back without the wounds. He could come back. I mean, he's Jesus, right? And God, can, God the Father can do whatever God the Father wants. At the resurrection, a lot of people don't kind of remark on this, but he comes back with the wounds. I mean, Thomas puts his hands in his side. They see the wounds. It's very, it's, it's very um, much emphasized in the Gospels. Now, you would think if this were some fable right he'd come back perfect he'd he'd come back with no wounds he'd, well, come, he'd back. come back and it'd smite his enemies That's well rather there's that too yeah. right like the yeah. mel gibson um sort of when he comes <laughs> yeah. back there's like all this martial music but here's this beautiful <laughs> this is what i mean about pete being pete so this is stanley marrow this is the risen lord i just find this this just blew my mind the risen lord had to be recognizably and identifiably the jesus of nazareth the man whom the disciples knew and followed, whom they saw and heard, with whom they ate, and because of whom they now cowered behind closed doors. For him to have risen as any other than the Jesus of Nazareth that they knew would void the resurrection of all of its meaning. The one they had confessed as their risen Lord is the same Jesus of Nazareth that they had known and followed, showing them his hands and his side, which bore the marks of the crucifixion and the pierced by the lance was not a theatrical gesture, but the necessary credentials of the identity of the risen Lord who stood before them with the crucified Jesus of Nazareth, whom they knew. I just think that is so stunning. 
It's the same person. And so when we're in, however we are resurrected or given new life, I think you'll be you with your wounds and your history and your background, but glorified in some way. That's how, what I, I truly believe that I really do that God would never eradicate Pete. He would bring him to his fulfillment and his fullness, and you will be able to enjoy everything with your wounds, but glorified. I just think that's so beautiful. And Jesus comes to us with his wounds. Yeah, no, that that is, I'm not a, a pastor, but that's your sermon. You don't get rid of the wounds. No, so- and that's, and and Jesus, you know, Henry Nouwen, the great um, spiritual writer, um, talked about the wounded healer, right? This is how we, this is how we heal people. Jesus, it's amazing. It's an amazing, beautiful thing that he comes back with, with the nails and, and is still in his hands. And that's why I think it's important for Thomas to put them in his, his hand in there. That's this interesting. is me. I, I I wouldn't I would never do this. I was just reading about the resurrection this morning, and Richard points out that in Mark. Oh, Richard, who? I know, Mark sixteen twelve. He showed himself, but under another form. So Mark mm. records it differently. Buddy, mm. I think people listening. I call you buddy, friend. I think people listening might think I'm presenting some sort of counter argument, but here we are in the midrash. In no, be, the, yeah, because we don't know. We we no, don't I mean, know. It's, it's yeah. this is what I mean. Theology, as they say, is faith seeking understanding. And I I have one way of looking at it, and you have another way of looking. I mean, you know, they're the same way of looking at it. And but you know, the question is like, for example, one of the great questions in, uh, you know, Christology, as they say, is why why didn't they recognize Jesus when he came back? Because yeah. clearly, the glorified body is very different. Uh, Mary Magdalene thinks he's a gardener. Uh, the Supper at Emmaus, they're like, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And yet he says, it's me, you know? And then, so it's very, very, and the, the, to me, the answer is because no one's ever seen a glorified body before. He was like Jesus, <laughs> but he wasn't like Jesus. So it's just, I find it, it is endlessly fascinating. I could talk about the resurrection from now until, you know, Christmas, by the way. Have you read Easter. Uh, Resurrecting Easter? Have you read that book? It's, no. Who wrote that? It, oh boy. Richard like- Rohr. No, it's believe it or not, it's not Richard Rohr, but he did recommend it to me through one of his books. But it's just it's ex- examining the art of the Eastern Church and how mm. it's always Jesus um, taking Adam and Eve with him mm. into uh, salvation, mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to what we've really enjoyed, uh, which is it's just Jesus. It's it's very Western. It's it's just mm-hmm. him, and if we believe him, it's the ticket thing. He'll be our ticket. But mm-hmm. but they had an understanding of a, a much more corporal uh, resurrection. Yeah, and I think the, the 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 other great mystery is that Jesus is. I mean, I talk about this in my prayer book. I mean, Jesus is for the Christian present to us through our prayer, through the Spirit, and it's the same the same Spirit that was present to Jesus. Um, one of the things, another here's a I always like sort of sharing quotes that kind of blew my mind. Yeah, um, I was on a, a retreat a couple of just about a year ago, and one of the um, uh, retreat directors was giving a homily and he's, I use this a lot. And he said that the Holy spirit, you know, I, I, I put this in the learning to pray book um, that the Holy spirit um, that was present to Jesus. Okay. You know, at the crucifixion and at the resurrection is the same Holy spirit present to us, meaning fully as St. Paul said, it's not rationed. Right. And so it's the same spirit. And I tend to think people think that, you know, like Pete has his own little teeny weeny part of the spirit that God kind of doles out to him. Oh, I don't have that problem. (laughs) And, you know, so, but it's the same, it's the same spirit fully 
present to each of us and yet present in different ways. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times um, I do pilgrimages to the Holy land and we have these faith sharing groups at the end and people talk about what has uh, you know, move them. And some people said, Oh, I looked at the sea of Galilee and I burst into tears. Another person would be like, yeah, it didn't do it for me. I, I heard this, this hymn today when we were at mass and oh my gosh, was some, yeah, it didn't do it for me. So the same spirit present to everybody is dealing with us individually, yeah. which is blows my mind. So for example, like this, your dog barking is, you know, or, 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 you know, your dog does something funny, which just moves you. And you think it's funny and it's beautiful. And it's a sign of God. I might look at that same dog and be like, well, that's nice, but it doesn't really do anything for me. So the same spirit works very personally and uniquely with each of us, you know, in our prayer and in our daily lives, which I think is stunning, stunning to me. Yeah, I, I would, I don't know if I go too far, but I would go to say the same awareness that's looking out your eyes, Father Jim, is the awareness that was looking out Jesus's eyes. The, the frequency with which Christ tuned into it may be different, but it's not personal. It's not like, it's also outside of time. It's, it's like we're talking about Jesus over there. And I'm also like, Christ is alive and looking out your eyes and looking out my eyes. And, and when we talk about land, I'm not Catholic. But I have what? a what? Wait, what? what? <laughs> you just sign why off. Am I, why am I on this? What? What? <laughs> I mean, I'm universal. Does oh, that work? Gee, I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a great. Lenten... I was not informed that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great Lenten prayer. It's the first prayer. It is Richard's book of Lent. It's the first prayer is um, God teach me what to desire, and mm. and the and the mantra that you repeat is um, pray in me, pray through me, and pray as me. Mm. Meaning, this sort of goes back to our question of prayer. When it, we sort of joke about manifesting and like talking about, oh, I'd like to be in a movie or this or that. And you're like, we never really stop to ask ourselves, who are we? Are we really the best person to know what we need in our life? So then when you surrender to the right. Holy Spirit, or as you might call it, the soul, or your divine indwelling and say, would you pray through me? Sure. Let me get out of the way. And, and you have at it. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Well, and St. Paul talks about that. The spirit prays through us. But, you know, one big part of Jesuit spirituality um, is, is praying to understand your desires, your deepest desires. And not just your surface wants or your wishes, like I want a car, I want to be in a movie. But what do I really desire? Because... Ultimately, you know, we we're talking about that fascination that you and I have with Jesus, you know, that that is the desire at heart for God. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, our deepest desires, not only for to be our true selves, but for God. And so a lot of um, prayer, I think, and a lot of the spiritual life is sort of burning away kind of the excess desires and wants that really don't help us. And to have our real desire, our true desire revealed, you know, which is because I think it's ultimately for God. And I think even people who might be agnostics or atheists probably will admit maybe that um, there is something in them that longs to know that has this desire for something more than than they than they sort of experience. And, you know, as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That that desire, the deepest desire in our hearts is for God. I, uh, that's, I mean, my, so much of my own spirituality and Jesuit spirituality is founded on that, our desire for God and God's desire for us. And by the way, and this is the beginning of my book, where does the desire for God come from? It comes from God. And that's the way that God draws us to God's self in prayer. 
Right. I love that. Yeah, no, I really, you know, at the beginning of the spiritual life. So this learning to pray book is a, it's a, it's an invitation to prayer for everybody. The one of the things that is the most helpful for people that I've found, and I, I work with a lot of people who are seekers and agnostics and all that is this, they come to me and they say, I, I, I want to know about God. I want to pray. I want to find out more. I've had this experience or I've heard of blah, blah, whatever. And there's a, there's a desire or a fascination or a longing. And I often say to them, where do you think it comes from? And they'll say, when they pause for a second, well, I think it comes from God. And then you can say to them, well, then it's a call. And it's not just you being interested or curious. It is God calling you. The, the line I quote in the book was from a, um, a plaque I saw in a retreat house, that which you seek is seeking you. Yeah. And so, so, so to be able to say yes to that gives people a lot of confidence because it's not just, it, for example, it's not just Pete or Jim who happen to be interested and they're like, oh, following up on something, you know, like you follow up on a phone call. It's, it's, it's you're responding to God's desire, which is placed in you. And it seems to you to be your desire, but it's really God's. You're mirroring it. It's being, you're, you're responding to it. It is literally, I really believe this, like the, the desire that you have and the fun that we have talking about Jesus, which is fun. I mean, I could talk about Jesus and God forever. <laughs> Where does that longing? Well, that's why I it comes, to- it comes from God. It's the way that God has of drawing you, Pete. That's God's way of drawing you. Well, that's why I wanted to clear it up and say, it's not here for me. I don't want it to be a ticket to heaven because then that's cheap. If I put a gun to your head and say, love me. And you say, I love you. That was nonsense. But if, if, Again, it's Richard. He says the mystics, the people that have these God experiences, um, that have visions, that 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 fast and pray. They have their time in the desert. Right. They always meet a lover. They don't meet. They. It's like a seductress. It's 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 more romantic. I know you're celibate, but but uh, no, or, I, but no no no. I, I'm not. I, in fact, I'm doing no, the no, opposite. No, but I was saying yeah, that, that, just, that's my experience. Go ahead. I'll let you finish. I don't want you sense. to think that I'm thinking you as other because of celibate. I'm trying to do yeah. the exact opposite by yeah. saying you know the feeling of communion of of sensual spiritual um, merging with reality and with God itself. It, it wouldn't. I, I'm going to say I won't put it in your mouth. For me, it can feel sexual. It's not arousing. It's not orgasmic in that way. It's it's a, a feeling of union that can pale uh, the feeling of, of some sexual encounters. Well, I would say that, you know, it is it's a desire. It's a longing. You know, one of the great um, sort of prayers that the Jesuits like um, it's uh, was attributed. It was misattributed to our a Jesuit superior general. But now it's from a Jesuit named Joe Whalen is is called fall in love, um, stay in love. You know what you I'm paraphrasing. What gets you up in the morning, what excites you, um, what makes you interested, um, you know, really changes your life, right? So the, the prayer ends with fall in love and stay in love. And when I was starting to think about the Jesuits, um, it was it felt very romantic in a sense that was just so interesting and I felt so attracted to it. And I think at the beginning of the spiritual life, um, this is one way that God has of grabbing people. Oftentimes, um, in the spiritual life, when people start to pray and they start to think about the retreats and spirit, you know, for example, like reading, reading Richard Rohr, for example, it just feels so um, satisfying and fulfilling. And it's, it's almost like this peak experience and you can't, you can't continue that forever. I mean, people can't live at that, that sort of fever pitch. <laughs> I think that's one way God has of drawing us in. I think the honeymoon period is, 
very common in the spiritual life. And then it settles down and then people say, oh, you know, what's wrong with me? My prayer is dry. And it's like, well, you know, like it's like any relationship, Mm. which is the great for me. And I use it in the book. That's the great analogy and the great image of, 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 of an experience with God. It's a relationship. And so as in many relationships, it starts off in the honeymoon. Yeah, that's interesting. One of my questions for you, I find it such a, a strange, maybe it's a paradox, I'm not sure. But if I get into a flow state and I create something or I achieve something, I think the church I was raised in would be quick to be like, well, that wasn't spiritual. But it can make me feel this connection to life, which enhances my connection to the divine. It, what I'm, you mean you create something that's, I, I, I wouldn't say that why would this church say that that's something you create is not spiritual? Well, take uh, Scorsese, right? I think you and I would oh, yeah. both be like, this is an exploration of yeah. humanity and sure. art and it's a storytelling, but somebody might be like, well, he sure says fuck a lot. And so therefore it's secular um, or whatever. Yeah, how do you think, be. how do you think the fishermen in Galilee used to, t- <laughs> used to speak? I used to say, I mean, I, you know, you gotta like, these are real people, you know, no, I'm, I'm with you. I just find it so interesting that God, here's how I'd put it. It seems to me that God wants that connection so much. He hides it in suffering. He hides it in love. He hides it in me writing a dumb script. I write a dumb script and suddenly I feel elated. And in that elation, I can sense my higher self and I can sense an interconnectedness with all things. Oh, I think that the spirit works through artists and creative people. Absolutely. I mean, there's yeah. no, there's no question about it. I mean, and I, I think to be able to say, to, to say that this is spiritual and this is not spiritual means that, you know, someone is not going to be able to find a, a sort of, a, you know, spiritual experience through a film just because you don't like it. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, let's take, um, gosh, I mean, like silence, for example, right. Let's take silence, which is it's a quite a bit. It's quite a difficult movie. Okay. And there's a lot of difficult theological, you know, kind of issues in it you know, some people might find it tremendously moving. Other people might, you know, it's boring or it's too violent or whatever it is, you know? So who's to say it's not spiritual, right? Who's to say that any, sometimes like even, even banal movies, like, you know, I, I might be on a plane or something. Remember when we used to go on planes and watching some banal movie and, you know, you get, you start crying. You think, what is this? This is not great art, but it, it touches you. Right. Or, or, you know, or, you know, or, or a funny story. I think it's, I think it's, so I think to say that this is spiritual and this is not just because you use the F word. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, like, I'm just thinking, um, you know, like Scorsese's movies or Spike Lee's movies or movies that use the F word and the F bomb, you know, they're beautiful images and, and messages and just because, just because you don't like it, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm really careful about saying, cause you, that basically you're saying God cannot work through that. And I think you can't put, barriers like that on God, because God can work through anything. Right. It's weird to say the people that would say God cannot work through a movie that has F words in it would also say God can work through the brutal murder and crucifixion of his son. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Which, well, which is it? Is it gritty and nasty or is it, does it have to be about polity? Well, and I think we've also kind of tamed the crucifixion. I mean, we were, someone said to me once to, to get back to, which I think is really kind of shocking. To get back to the original horror of it, imagine if everyone walked around today with little electric chairs from their on their, yeah. you know, their necklaces and on their earrings. Yeah, people are like, oh, that's disgusting. It's like, well, that's that's kind of what the cross was, right? You know, we've kind of tamed it, right? Little flowers that's, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, that was a, a, a real breakthrough for me was that Catholics keep Jesus on the cross. And again, Richard has helped me see, again, we were evangelical. So we had a bare cross. We had the mm-hmm. cross. Jesus mm-hmm. had ascended. And then I was like, now, I it, it, who cares what I prefer, what Pete prefers? But Pete now does enjoy or get value or get meaning, a transmission out of seeing Jesus on the cross. Because yeah. I'm like, I, we're all on the cross. We're all feeling things and, and well it's and funny like i like i could see both i can see both and because sure, i think yeah. unfortunately the drawback i mean you know where i'm going with this the drawback is that the catholics are all about good friday <laughs> and it's all good friday and then easter is like oh yeah then there's easter right but it's it's so <laughs> much it's so much emphasis you know from the medieval times when there was all this like suffering and plague and all that there was such an emphasis on the man of sorrows that they're little about joy, you know, yeah. and most of Jesus is, you know, look, that's, that's uh, obviously an important part of his life. And that's his final, his final letting go, his final surrender, but it's also three hours of his life, right? right. Um, the crucifixion. And we tend to Catholics, especially tend to overlook the joyful parts, right? I mean, like the parts where he's laughing and yeah. yeah so I think, I think that balance them out. I do think you're right. I think, I think some Protestants have gotten away from that you know, the image of that, but some Catholics kind of need to be reminded that he actually rose from the dead. Well, yeah. Catholics are from the outsider perspective. Catholicism was always the scary church. It was the Mm. church that was like, yes, the uniforms and the smells and the bells. And Mm -hmm. it all seemed from my perspective to intimidate you and uh, the creeds that you don't know and all that stuff. (laughs) That's that's They changed changed them a couple of years ago and I, and now I don't know them. (laughs) Is that right? Changed the wording slightly just enough to be, so that if you're not paying attention, you kind of go back into the old stuff. Yeah. Now you know how I feel. It's like when you visit a new church and you don't know if their Lord's prayer is uh, debtors or trespassers. <laughs> you have that. You have that panic. Um, I really wanted to tell you this one Colbert story. So I love the book, The Universal Christ. Um, did you get a chance to read it? It's again, oh, I, yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. Yeah, it's beautiful. I brought it um, to Colbert. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing a show. And I had, I had just started reading it and I was loving it. So I brought him a copy. And I this isn't about trying to, to expose something that Stephen hasn't shared about him. Sure. Um, he, he's very open about this stuff. I'm just letting you know the nature yeah, of the sure. story. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I gave him the book and I, and I said to him, I said, you know, this book really blew me away. Because, mm. and I know there's lots of ways of looking at the Eucharist, communion. Mm-hmm. But I was like, it really opened up my eyes that the bread becomes the body of Christ, not the body of Jesus mm-hmm. necessarily. It mm-hmm. becomes the body of Christ, mm-hmm. which is our allowing it to be Christ, Christ being mm-hmm. another word for everything. Mm-hmm. And so when you eat the bread, you're, you're acknowledging its sacredness. Mm-hmm. And, it, and in that way, it transforms into the body of Christ. Even though it already was, you're acknowledging it. But it's not necessarily, I don't want to get into transubstantiation. That's not my point. It doesn't necessarily become the flesh of Jesus, becomes the body of Christ. And he and he just looks at me that way he does. He's got like that sort of devilish look. He goes, I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I thought I was going to be blowing his mind. Was this, was this on the air or was that just private? It wasn't on the air. That's so funny though. But it's so, well, you know, it's kind of beautiful. You know, it's yeah. like you, you get this, you get this insight and you want to share oh. with somebody. That's so beautiful. And I but wasn't even doing it in a condescending, like, you don't know. No, this. no, no. I understand. Yeah, but you yeah. were sharing something that you, 
that that was making you excited. I think that's so great. That's great. And then that he knew it. So the idea yeah. that so one of the ideas that Richard talks about is panentheism. So pantheism is everything is God. Right. Panentheism, which is sort of like quantum physics, is that the energy of all things is in all things. Mm-hmm. And I really took a lot of value in that. So mm. I started to see that you can mm. have, like the Buddhist tea ceremony, you can imbue anything with mm-hmm. a reverence that opens your eyes. It hasn't changed, but your consciousness has changed. I can do it with you right now. I'm talking to the Christ animating itself as this man. I and I, you know, and I'm playing this part. And that can really bring me into, as I understand it, a taste of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I think, you know, people have different um, ways of understanding what is essentially the mystery of the Eucharist. I mean, it really is a mystery and you can't really get your mind around it. I find, you know, more and more, I mean, I believe in the real presence. I believe that it is the body of Christ. More and more, I, I like to think of the words, um, like in addition to what I, what you were saying about it being the body of Christ, I, I often think of um, when I, because I, I celebrate mass as a priest and I say those words, take this all of you and eat of it, you know, for this is my body. I often think of Jesus offering his body, um, not only on the cross and this sort of ultimate act of freedom, his, his ultimate surrender to God, um, but that he actually takes his body around Nazareth and Galilee and he brings himself to people and he breaks bread with people and he sleeps on the floor and he sleeps by the side of the road, we're told. And I kind of love that too. So that to me is, so there's the body of Christ, you know, as, as the Eucharist, right. in the real presence, but I'm also reminded of, you know, we're talking Stanley Marrow's quote about the, the risen Christ is identifiable with the crucified Jesus. There's also a person who took his body, which I love. I mean, as, as a priest and as a Christian from place to place, he and it was like, Pardon me? He schlepped. Well, no, he did, he did schlep, right. And and so I think that's really beautiful too. So take this, all of you. This is my body. And I sometimes think of that like if I'm tired or, you know, as I said, when I used to travel, you know, like here, here I am, you know? So it's a, it works on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the old joke, of course, of uh, uh, Catholics is, um, you know, we eat the host, which is usually a wafers. I have, I have no trouble believing that it's Christ. I have trouble believing that it's bread. <laughs> yeah what are those things they're terrible yeah they're well you know um is it so i know you have to do it a lot sisters but I mean, sisters sisters may oftentimes religious women uh sisters orders make them the, oh is that the, right mm-hmm. yeah it's a way that they have you know like making money and stuff you know let's throw a little salt in that recipe or something but, you know it's funny like i sometimes um uh my my uh, you know you, you they're, they're unconsecrated they're just bread Right. beforehand. And I, um, to one time I was with one of my nephews, I probably shouldn't tell the story. And I was in the sacristy and I said, here, just eat one uncle Jim, you can eat it. And I said, this is where you have to really understand like what the difference is. Right. I mean, now it's bread. It's just as it's, it's like, a, it's like anything, but not, not right. soon. So. Right. That's interesting. I, I don't mean to split Harris, do you believe that it becomes the flesh of Jesus when you eat it? No, I believe as you say, the, it is the body of Christ. Yeah, it is the body of Christ. I mean, the flesh of Jesus is is different, right? I mean, this is this is the flesh of the, the answer is <laughs> I'm not a theologian. I believe it is the body of Christ and that it is Christ's body in that bread really and truly. Right. right, right. Um, 
Yeah. I don't know if you could say stuff because I think the flesh of Jesus is kind of more finite. That makes sense. Well, it starts to get into that asking for a sign, asking for some sort of cheap miracle. When I'm like in the consecration of a wafer, Mm -hmm. is what's changed your level of consciousness rather than the bread? Well, I think, no, I think it is changed. I really do think that. Oh, really? Yeah, I do. I mean, through, it's not just your perception of it. It is it is changed in, in, in this kind of mysterious way. You know, Augustine has that, St. Augustine has this great quote, which I always get, I always screw this one up. I'm going to screw it up just like I screw up that joke, um, which is, and by the way, the joke was, sorry, <laughs> the joke was, he says to each of them, what do you believe? That's what it is. And the Franciscan said, I believe that I needed to be poor and blah, blah, blah. And he says, welcome to heaven. And then the, he said to the Dominican, what do you believe? I believe that I should have done this. And, you know, I believe that you're this. And I believe that I, pre-. and then he says to the Jesuit, what do you believe? And he says, I, I believe, believe you're in, in my, my seat. seat. There, there we is. go. There so, um, no, I think uh, St. Augustine said, um, receive, all right, I gotta, I gotta look it up. Do it's it. something like receive what you are, receive what you want to, all right, I'm going to screw it up. Let me, it, it, it's worth looking for. I'm I'm cool with it. All right, wait a minute. You can you can edit this part out where I'm actually looking it up on my phone. I like these little moments of Do you? Well, oh, yeah. I I should know this because I use it all the time. It's Augustine be what you see, receive what you are. Be that beautiful? You be what so if you're holding the host before the person, be what you see, Christ, receive what you are. Yeah. It's so I love that. I can never yeah. get it right though. That, I should probably that, memorize it. So it's remote. also it's also as we consume the host, Christ, you know, in a sense, pervades us, and you know, we become that. You know, mm. receive what you are. It's it's so beautiful. So that mystery is just a that's a that's a kind of endless mystery for me of the Eucharist. But as I said, I recently I've been thinking more of it in terms of not only the body of Christ, but Jesus kind of taking his body all over Galilee and Judea. Mm. You know, though, I have to think you would agree that if you were in some sort of cell, not not your cell. <laughs> I'm in a cell, but I, I am yeah. a cell. It's a cell. But I'm going to put you in a real cell for this. Uh, without without uh, a computer. You're a prisoner. Oh, that kind of cell. Okay. Yeah. And um, we leave you alone most of the time. Don't you feel that you could, without bread, without a wafer, mime eating the air and receive the same blessing. Yeah. Although there's something I, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a great story of a Jesuit um, named Walter Chizek, who's uh, up for canonization called with God in Russia. I highly recommend it. Mm. He was uh, captured by the first, the Nazis and then the Soviets in 1939, 1940. And he was in a prison camp for, and he talks a lot about that and, and missing the Eucharist. I do think there's something really important that, that, Christ comes to us in really simple ways, bread and wine. You know what I mean? So I think there's something about it that I wouldn't say I'm going to, I'm going to pretend that I'm saying the mass. I might say the, the prayers of the mass, but I no, I, cause I think there's something, look, he decided to do it in very simple ways that have to do with food and nourishment too. Right. Mm. You know what I mean? So I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that look I, the Jesuit motto is finding God in all things. So I think I could hopefully find God in all things, but no, I would, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of say that, that it shouldn't be that way or we don't need that. I think you do need that. I think that, the, I think it's really important for that, that he comes in really basic, 
look, the, the simplest thing in the world is bread and wine back then. I love that. This right. is me. Look, this is me in these simple, uh, ordinary things that are now transformed, which I think is so gorgeous. I just love that bread and wine. But again, you know, I wish we actually used real bread. That'll be better. <laughs> okay. You're in your prison cell and you have an apple and a glass of water. Are we going to do it? No. I come on. No, I got to call you on that. I'm not. You're telling not. me if Jesus of Nazareth is at a table and there's a pitcher of water and an apple. Yeah, yeah but the difference and is. he was moved to give yeah, the sermon. Yeah, but the difference is I'm not Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> But isn't Jesus of Nazareth, its point is like, I, look, you think I'm in the temple, but I'm here to yeah. tell you I'm here at the table. Right. You know, I, I think so. I think there are ways that Jesus can be in. No, I wouldn't. You know, it's funny. Here's, here you're getting to my like real Catholic self. I know this is very no, I Catholic. Wouldn't. I you wouldn't. Love? No, I wouldn't because it's like saying, um, okay, it's like saying, um, I don't know what it's like saying, but yeah, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I think it's really, I think it's really like, like those, the stories of the saints who like waited and waited and waited until they could finally have it, you know, which was really beautiful. So no, I wouldn't, I'd also get in trouble if I did by the by, That's you're, not well. supposed to, you're not supposed to do it, but I wouldn't, because I think there's something about him coming in that way that is meaningful. And maybe even if I don't understand it, that it is, it is bread and wine. And there's something, you know, like the wine, you know, we just talked about new wine skins and and the wedding feast at Cana. That's a, that's a really important sign. And I mean, it's the same with baptism. When you baptize, this is where I'm getting, this is where you're you're running into the kind of like traditional Catholic. Yeah. When you baptize someone, it has to be water. I mean, it can't be gasoline or Purell or, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, the dove soap or something. It has to be water. And there's I mean, a reason there's a reason. And, you know, G- Jesus is baptized in the Jordan river. So part of it is part of it is also like not only the tradition, but this is what he instituted. And I'm not going to listen. That's the other thing. I'm not going to say like, I don't, a, we, I don't need what you told us we're going to need. You know? Yeah. But I mean, okay. So you're talking to a Protestant. I know. I know. I it's okay. I no, <laughs> no, I, don't I didn't mean that. that. I didn't mean that, but no, I, I mean, mean, we disagree on that, but I, we're I dunk- do it. We're, we're dunking people in the Jordan River, but then the Catholic Church, there's a water shortage. Now we're sprinkling and you're still upholding a tradition that has nothing to do with being immersed in the Jordan River. No, but it's water. Well, by the way. By well, the now way. We're, we're splitting different hairs. No, no, I no, could no, say no. like it's, it's got to be water, water. but I could water. say it has to be immersion. Or we could say what Pete is really saying, which is yeah. receive – if you want to have a, a – a, if but you want think- to – play out your death, which yeah. is really what a baptism is. It, right, right. But let's just lower you into the ground. Who cares? No, Especially see, if we're on I a planet th- where there's no yeah, water. <laughs> but then you miss the whole, all the symbolism of water and the flood and God splitting the waters and chaos of the water and water being death and water being I understand birth. that, but now we're saying God's only hiding in special, sacramental, meaningful images. And mm-hmm. I'm saying I could baptize you in a pile of leaves. Yeah, no, see, I well, I wouldn't consider that a baptism because Jesus is saying, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's, and and it's funny okay. because my church would say, you're sprink- I've been baptized twice when I was a baby in the Catholic <gasps> church. Oh. And then I got baptized full immersion oh. and that was supposed to be the real one. But then isn't isn't there you're you're all about freedom right mm. so this is what we're going back to the my original concern when you have to represent a, an establishment an establishment that would get mad at you if you gave yourself communion with the apple and the water there's a lot of there's a lot of uh fence posts here there's a- there are but by the same t- okay but now I'll push back a little bit but by 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 completely saying okay now it's leaves then 
then you miss a lot of the symbolism and the tradition, which I think are really beautiful and valuable. So if you think of just what, just something simple as water. Okay. So what do we know about water? Well, the, the baptism, the, the prayer for the baptism, if, which, which we have time. Do you mind if I read a little bit of it? Please. Is, which I have my baptism book right here. Hold on. Father Jim, you're going to have to end this interview. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> you're going to be the one that says, I think I have to get, get the hell out of here. <laughs> right, so This is not what people tend to want to tend to expect that they're going to hear. So when you baptize a, a child or a, anybody um, in the Catholic church, there is this stunning prayer. Can I read it to you? We got time, I, right? I would love to. Not this that is, long. So here's here. <laughs> I mean that as a, as a, That's as a nice. wonderful Thank welcoming. You. People are like, I can't believe you read the baptismal prayer. So this is the blessing over the water. And I guess here's what, I, what I'm saying is this is what you would miss um, with the leaves. I can't so, wait. Do you understand? Fa- I, I, I'm so fa- tired of just reaffirming what I already believe. Please. Father, give me something father. New. So this is the prayer over the baptism. Oh, it's so, I find it. This is the, for me, so beautiful. It's over the, over the water. Blessing and invocation over the baptismal water. Father, you give us grace through sacramental signs, which tell us of the wonders of your unseen power. In baptism, we use your gift of water, which you have made a rich symbol of the grace you give us in this sacrament. At the very dawn of creation, your spirit breathed on the waters, making them the wellspring of all holiness. The waters of the great flood, you made a sign of the waters of baptism that make an end to sin and a new beginning of goodness. Through the waters of the Red Sea, you led Israel out of slavery to be an image of God's holy people, set free from sin by baptism. In the waters of the Jordan, your son was baptized by John and anointed with the Spirit. Your son willed that water and blood should flow from his side as he hung upon the cross. After his resurrection, he told his disciples, go out and teach the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Father, look now with love upon your church and unseal for her the fountain of baptism. By the power of the Spirit, give to the water of this font the grace of your Son. You created us in your own likeness. Cleanse us from sin in a new birth to innocence by water and the Spirit. We ask you, Father, with your Son, to send the Holy Spirit upon the water of this font, May all who are buried with Christ in the death of baptism rise also with him in newness of life. We ask this through Christ our Lord. I just think that is so beautiful. And so water, water, water. I think I'm saying, you know, things. I, God's bigger than me, but you lose a lot by, by sort of moving away from that is all I'm saying. I just think that is the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful prayers. And I think you lose a lot by saying it could be anything. Well, not really. That's how I see it. <laughs> and the same with bread and wine. Bread, wine, the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, the wine at Cana. So sure, God can work through everything, but you do lose a lot by separating, you know, off from those traditions. So I think, so I just, I just love that prayer. Love it. It's and I always cry when I start to cry, when I unseal for her, the fountain of baptism is just, my God, it's water being given to us by God for this. You know, so it's so pretty anyway. Mm. No, I, I do not. I don't have any issue with how beautiful it. I don't have any issue. I think it's lovely. I, I, I just, when it starts getting like, you do this and now you're in, isn't that pleasing to the false self? Isn't no, the truth 
yourself already in? No, if you look, it could be if you look at it the wrong way. If you say this is my ticket, you know, as we say, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. It's a lot of it's your intentionality and your desire and your 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 intent. And so, yeah, I mean, if you say like, if I do, if I check all these boxes, I'm in. No, but I think if you say this, this is the way I look at it. Here's a tradition that has been given to us, like that that beautiful prayer and that that history and that richness. That I am actually, it's I think it's a, a humble thing. I am now participating in this that is much larger than myself and that it is part of a story. It's part of this sort of salvation history. And I'm just another person stepping into it. You know, I think to me, that's, that's the, that's the humility. You know, it's not that I'm, I'm, I got all the right, you know, things, all the right elements. It's more that I'm, I'm stepping into this beautiful river of tradition and I'm, I'm taking my place in that. And, you know, one of the things I like is that the other thing we have to grapple with is Jesus chose to be baptized in this way. So Jesus did not chose to be baptized in the pile of leaves, which I'm not making fun of leaves are very nice. He chose this way. And he, one of the great things about scripture is that um, he, he doesn't need to be baptized. He's sinless. He does it anyway, because it's a kind of, it's a kind of initiation for him. Anyway, I could I could also talk about baptism. I could talk about that till the guy was, we should, we should probably wrap up though. Right. Should we? It's, it's, uh, we should, but really it doesn't matter um, as long as you're comfortable, but, but we can wrap up. I was going to bring up Christ's baptism. My, Feel free. Un- my understanding of it, this, this whole thing has been a beautiful game of, I'll tell you something that I think, and then I love hearing your thoughts. So, so please take it as a question. Of course. Yeah. It's been, I love um, this conversation. This has been one of the, <laughs> my favorite interviews. Oh, I wouldn't I'm say what Colbert said to you like, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> what a bastard. It's like the old, do you remember the old um, Martin Short character? The one who was being um, interviewed? Like, Oh, Jiminy Glick. Jiminy Glick. Well, no, he has another one where he's the, um, he, uh, Mike Wallace is interviewing him. This is an old, old Oh, character. I don't remember it. So my, look it up. Martin Short is being interviewed. And it's a kind of, um, it's like Mike Wallace interviewing this kind of evil, corrupt corporate <laughs> executive, right? And the line is, you know, Mike Wallace is like, well, you know, your company you know, has made like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they've ruined the environment. And Martin Short's like, I knew that. I knew that. Do you think I didn't know that? I knew that. I knew, I knew that. It's like these very defensive, defensive corporate flack. I knew that. We knew oh that. Oh my God. Anyway, have, so what I were you going to say about members. Christ's baptism? I have family members like that. Um, people know I'm going to recommend this book. Have you read the gospel according to Jesus by Stephen Mitchell? Yes. I found that book to be wonderful. Yes. And that's where I got my arguably snooty comment about how some things were added um, to the historical. Well, they, they were. I mean, there is there is editing going on in the Gospels, absolutely, and that's For not sure. that's very reasonable. Yes, I, I think what it what I feared would be snooty was that you would think that I thought that you didn't know that. <laughs> so I was like, I, I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite extra biblical edition or scribe added is "For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory." Which I'm like, I, I, I found more value in knowing that someone added that to the although, Lord's Although here's the thing, Pache Stephen Mitchell, who I love, we, we don't know, it's just, which is true. We don't know for sure. Oh, he didn't that. tell me that, but go ahead. Like some things we think like, for, I mean, I'm, I actually love talking about this. We think, for example, like when the parables are explained, for example, that's, or when something that clearly had happened after Jesus's death is sort of put in. Right. Sure. But there's, but a lot of stuff, but they all will say, but we really don't know for sure. And I think one of the dangers is like, 
uh, which is which is this is a whole this is a whole Jesus seminar stuff. Like, oh, this is real Jesus. This is not real Jesus. And so I'm going to separate that out. Right. And as my my professor Dan Harrington used to say, which I love, I just love this, is that when people in that genre look into the well of who Jesus is, they see their own reflection. So you're normally likely to, oh, I don't want that. That can't be him. So I'm putting that out. Anyway. I, I'm so first Christ, in line to concede yeah. so that Christ, when I read, yes. Christ baptism. What did you want to chat about? Christ, I like, to me, the the Superman Jesus, which is the Superman, the cartoon character, the, the comic book character. Right. Meaning he comes from crypto. I Superman. Uh, no, I know, but not. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Is it? There's a philosopher who uses. Superman. Oh, uh, Nietzsche, right? Yeah, not Nietzsche. Yeah. Superman. Um, Superman is my least favorite superhero. He's mm. boring. Um, there's no crucifixion. There's no nothing compelling about him. He comes from another planet. Right. He, he can do everything, here, and he can do everything. So he's yeah. boring. And forgive me, but I feel like a lot of people have done that to Jesus by saying he came and was um, completely sinless. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to disrespect a creed. And I know that's like a fundamental belief of most branches of Christianity, but to me, his baptism is showing the evolution of a person and that's not taking away from Jesus. Okay. So Mitchell, Stephen Mitchell sort of posits um, that the reason why Jesus leans so much on forgiveness is because he was known as uh, as a, a man without a father, that his his mom might have had an affair, or at least it was out of wedlock. So he might have been looked down upon. So he might have been cast out. And he sort he of certainly, yeah, that the word bastard they had a really nasty word for bastard that Jesus mm-hmm. might have been familiar with. So this might have humanized him and humanized his message to a level of understanding. That Superman couldn't have. Superman can't go around and say, Pete, I know what it's like to not be able to do five push-ups. Like, he can't, but but this is humanizing. So the baptism, to me, is more valuable when I see a man on a journey, as we all are, that woke up and and realized his Christ nature, as opposed to just being born with it. And, you well, know. Yeah, that's, a, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, that's not the way I look at it, but I would say this, why wouldn't it be moving to you or why wouldn't it be just as meaningful that someone who is sinless, which I, I believe he is sinless. I don't think that, I mean, he was tempted certainly, but he is sinless. Nonetheless is baptized. I mean, here, here's what I like to think of. Um, so why is Jesus ba- Now here's the thing in the gospels. John the Baptist is always, they, they take great pains to subordinate John the Baptist. I am, I am, I must decrease. He must increase. I am not willing to un, unstrap his sandals. Okay. Well, why is that? Well, it's most likely because Jesus was one of John the Baptist's followers. And when Jesus was on the scene, that there were still some of the Baptist's followers. And so they had to make pain. This is where the, the editing really is important. Um, because the, 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 the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are clearly trying to subordinate John. And there's a reason for that. So we can see that Jesus is probably one of John's followers. And that's even, that's kind of freaks people out, you know, God forbid that he would, you know, kind of have to be apprenticed in a sense to anybody, but it's pretty clear that he was, it's clear that he meets, um, Simon and Andrew and John's company, at least in John's gospel. So he's around there. And why is he baptized? I mean, and even John says, why are you coming to me? What are you doing this? I see it as a couple of things. 
Number one, um, Jesus, you know, God, God becomes human in Jesus. Okay. God becomes, God is sort of taking his stand with us. He's, he's kind of making his choice for us at the baptism. Jesus kind of says, I'm with everybody else. I'm, I'm, I'm standing in line with all of you people. It's another sign of kind of his humility. I mean, you know, Jesus could have done all sorts of things in terms of the crucifixion. He doesn't, you know, he just, he dies. It's the same kind of surrendering to his own humanity. I also think he's trying to sort of do some initiation, right. To sort of mark the beginning of his public ministry and also probably give a sense of, you know, his own um, respect to John. But I think it's this tremendous, it's interesting. I mean, we look at it from different points of view. I think it's this tremendous sign of his humility. In other words, in other words, Jesus didn't have to die because, you know, he could have whatever, you know, called down legions of angels. He did. Okay. Because he, 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 he sort of takes his place in humanity as someone who dies. As they say, it's the most human thing he does. But the other human thing he does is he gets baptized, even though he's sinless. He takes his stand with us and says, I'm with you, even in all of this. That's how I see it. I think that's a, I just love the baptism. And it, as they say, it's the most, one of the most historically accurate parts of the gospel because there's no way they would make that up. Well, they wouldn't make it up because it's extremely inconvenient. It's embarrassing. Yeah, the, as they say, the criterion of embarrassment. Right. But I, I, I just love, you know, one of my favorite movies is um, Dating Me. I'm older than you are, I'm sure. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, 1978, Franco Zeffirelli. Have you ever seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, it's beautiful. It's, it was on, like when I was, how old are you, by the way? I'm 41. I was 41. So you're much younger. I'm 60. It was on TV all the time at like Easter. Just, just look it up. It's online. Franco Zeffirelli, you know, beautiful. I mean, the cast is stunning. Like all-star cast, but it's, it's also, it was, it was filmed in Morocco. It's very sort of authentic. And um, Robert Powell, the, the, the um, English actor plays Jesus. And I think Michael York is um, John the Baptist. And there's this great scene. I, I just love it. I'll send it to you after we're, we're done where everyone is in line and they're just waiting, you know, then John's baptizing them. And then, you know, you see one person and then you see Jesus. And I just think at the baptism, God stood in line with us, mm. which I think is so beautiful. Mm. Um, and I think there are other ways that Jesus has of coming to understand his identity. I do see it as a, according to Stephen Mitchell, I mean, I do see it as a progression, but in the, I, but I, but I think he's sinless. And I think in the baptism, he's, he's even more humble. It's just amazing to me. God stands in line. God becomes a baby. God's crying. God gets, God's grown up in Nazareth. He has, you know, two human parents and he's baptized. It's amazing. You, you know what? It, I, I hear, I see that. I, I'm finding the beauty of, of that. Mm-hmm. And you know what, what I'm realizing, what it takes off the table is um, you or I, it takes off your potential. See, this is where the Buddhists sort of win out. You too can become enlightened. You can realize your Buddha nature you can realize your Christ nature. So if Jesus is just born realized, um, I, there's a different model. If when he's 30, when he begins his ministry, he's baptized, he begins his ministry, that's when he finds his realization. Because God hides in the doubt and in the suffering and in the trials and all these different things. And this breaks Jesus and brings him to the, you know, that moment of realization then you and I too can, can have that. Yeah, but, but that's, but, but 
but that's that gets to be Jesus as just someone who's kind of for us. I mean, it's just it's 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 as if Jesus only exists. I know you're not saying this, but the problem with that is that it reduces him in a sense to just this kind of path for us. So like if he really wanted to be relevant and meaningful to me, he would be sinful like I am. Well, I think it's more I think it's that's part of the story. The other part of the story, there's that's the fully human part. There's the fully divine part. And so that's what's really hard. It's not simply that he exists in order to provide us with a path that we can relate to. That's part of it. The other part of it is divine, which is really hard for people. And how that mystery sort of exists with the humanity is very difficult. Um, And that's something we'll never understand. And even the disciples couldn't understand it. You know, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Because, you know, in a sense, you could use that argument. I'm going to use it a little bit against you, if you don't mind. I'd love it. You, you could say, like, well, then he does miracles. How the hell am I supposed to relate to that? Like, I can't raise people from the dead and heal people. So he doesn't have any he doesn't have any um, connection with me. But it's that it's that fully human, fully divine, which I think is stunning to me um, and mysterious. And we'll never get to it. You know, well, Peter, Peter walked on water. I was thinking about that when you said it briefly was, was wrong. <laughs> But, but but there it is. Yes, I know. I know. And they and they heal people. That's the other thing. In the little little scene yeah. passage, they go out and they they all heal people. Imagine that. And Jesus you know, says, "You'll do greater things yep, than these." He yep, seems which to... because they they're all about they're all about. Wow, I did these I did these kind of like magic tricks. And he's he's like, no, it's more than that. It's it's the these signs are more than that. Mm. I do have to ring off. I'm awfully sorry, but this has been an amazing conversation. You know, I really do believe that um, our enthusiasm for this is is from god yeah it's where it's It's, coming from and i hope people have found this half as interesting as i have in terms of talking to you i wonder i thought you're gonna say as we have if you found it half as interesting as we did i think people yeah yeah, that's what i mean i hope people are still listening i think i think they (laughs) are oh my god two hours of christology basically i'm always surprised that people uh do and do enjoy it um well thank you very much i we need to ask one last question. Sure. And it can be a 30-second answer. I still feel bad about bomb, uh, blowing that joke. I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> if you than, can't uh, accept my forgiveness, how can right. you accept divine forgiveness? I know. I know. We, we forgive your joke. Well, let me, actually, let me tell Can I tell you one more joke that I actually remember very well? Yes, please. All right. So there's there's a bar, but this, this I'll tell. The, well, the other one I didn't actually, I didn't prepare it. <laughs> so hopefully you'll like this. So this this tells us this tells the difference between the religious orders. All right. So there's a barber in a small town. This one I know. A and barber? one day a barber, a barber. Yeah. And one day a man comes in in a brown robe, and he has a cord around his uh, waist, and he's his hair is shaved, and he comes in, and the barber says, um, "Oh, um, why are you dressed like that?" And he says, "I'm a Franciscan." And the barber says, oh, my gosh, I love the Franciscans. You do so much wonderful work with the poor. And I love Richard Rohr and <laughs> just all these wonderful things you do. And you live so simply. This haircut is free. And the Franciscan says, oh, no, you know, we have a little money. Let me. Pay. Oh, no, Friar. This haircut is free. So the Franciscan gives him a blessing. And he leaves. And the next day, the barber comes in on his doorstep. There's a surprise waiting for him, a big basket of flowers from the Franciscan's garden with a little thank you note. The next day, um, the barber is in his chair and a, um, a, a trappist comes in, a guy dressed in a black and white uh, outfit, a habit, his head's all shaved. And he says, um, who are you? He said, I'm a trappist monk. Oh, and the barber says, um, oh, I love 
uh, Thomas Merton and I, I've been to Gethsemane Abbey and you guys are just so amazing. And I, I just love the way you live these beautiful lives of prayer. So this haircut is free. And the trappist said, oh, no, no, I please let me pay you. You deserve your wages. He's no, no, I insist on the trappist. Thanks him, gives him a blessing. He leaves. And the next day, the barber comes to his door and on his doorstep is a big book, a big basket of trappist cheeses and fruitcakes with a little note from the <laughs> trappist. So the next day, a guy comes in and he's in a black clerical suit with a black collar. And he comes in and he says, uh, who are you? He says, well, I'm a Jesuit priest. He said, oh, I love the Jesuits, you know, finding God in all things. And my daughter went to Georgetown and my son went to Boston College. And this haircut is free, father. And he goes, oh, no, we have a little stipend and um, let me pay you. And he goes, no, no, father, this is for free. So the Jesuit priest gives him a blessing and leaves. And the next day, the barber comes to his door and there are 10 more Jesuits on his doorstep. That's a good joke. I mean, see, right, I wanted to prove to you that I actually do. I actually can tell some Jesuit jokes. So. I loved it. And you told it very well. Thank you. Uh, the Father, other one I, I will regret, oh, but I take your forgiveness. So please, please. We all could use a little humiliation to humble. That's right. <laughs> um, Father Jim, thank you. I really My hope pleasure. you got some, some goodness out of this as well. I did. As I did. It's delightful. And anytime you want to talk about Jesus or Christ or God, just call me up. I love it. I, I'll take you up on that. And may you know, I'm not just saying this because he's a fun celebrity, but I would love me, you and Steven, that when we get into it, it's really fun. I'd love the two of you to gang up on my hippie nonsense. Well, as, <laughs> from your lips to God's ears, as they say. <laughs> how about um, we have the guests say, keep it crispy at the end. It's how we sign off. Would you, is there a little benediction you want to give and then say, keep it crispy or just say, keep it crispy. It's really, no, of course we have a little benediction. So let's, we pray for all the people who are out there who are still with us, who have been thinking about God and maybe um, had their hearts moved and had their hearts drawn to God to just consider the possibility that this might be God inviting you into a relationship with God. And that we ask God to bless you and whatever your path is and to help you discover your true self and more importantly, to help you discover God in your life. And we ask this in God's holy name. Amen. And keep it crispy. That's a first. That is a first. I love that. Wow. Thank you for that big, beautiful My yes. My pleasure. My pleasure.